Good morning, beloved. Monday morning. Goodness, it's good to be back. Sorry I missed you guys last Friday. Something came up at the last moment. Mrs. W and I had to deal with it and could not be put off. So I apologize for that. That's not going to be a regular occurrence, but things do happen. Boy, a lot of good, thi or good things, a lot of interesting things in the news. We woke up this morning to some big news that uh, our friend Tucker Carlson uh, is out at Fox News. Now, I haven't heard if there's an update on that or not, uh, but that is a big, big deal. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what becomes of Fox News. Now, Fox News has been um, always, you know, kind of, kind of, most people agree that it is the outlet for the folks on the right, maybe the outlet for a professional homeowner, but I tell you that it is not, that it is no, well, I'm not going to say that it's not different than MSNBC, MSNBC, CNN, but when you take away Tucker Carlson, uh, he's really the only person that I've heard on mainstream media that's actually doing investiga investigative reporting and doing things. It was very, I was very happy to, happy to see stocks, the Fox News' stock, uh, plummet immediately upon this announcement. What's going to be very interesting to see is where this guy turns up. <laughs> you know, I can imagine, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, if you don't know, um, Fox News just, uh, I don't know why they capitulated to this or why they agreed to it, but they just settled uh, a tremendously huge lawsuit with the Dominion voting machines. Now, I don't know if this is the case or not. Was that such a huge hit that they were no longer able to afford Tucker's salary? I do not know. But man, can you imagine um, what this would do to alternative media if Tucker Carlson, for example, decided to go uh, bring his staff with him, you know, from Fox News, uh, and show up on a platform like Rumble or Alt Media? Can you imagine what that would do? And what if at the same time someone... Let's say maybe Andrew Tate did it at the same time. It would significantly change the balance of the, of the great monopolies that we have on social media. Very interesting. Man, these guys are kingmakers, really, at this point. Whether or not you agree with them, I'm not getting into that. Proho Pro is, is going to stay above politics when it comes to this. But it'll be very interesting to see what happens. All right, shall we jump into it, gentlemen? Now, we have not had... Oh, oh. Careful, careful. We have not been having very much luck with the lighting of the lantern of late. I think out of the last, what, three or four attempts, we've had uh, three that were aborted. Now, I was getting along just fine on my own with my 20 pumps before all of the armchair quarterbacks chimed in telling me somebody said 27, someone said 30, someone even said 40. I think you're all wrong. Now, I did receive reams and reams, long paragraphs of emails, careful, from so-called experts. I even received several offers from Coleman Mechanics uh, that they would repair my thing. But, but we're, we're just going gonna to muddle through here. We're going to struggle on, and we're going to go back to what worked. So first off, get back to the basics. Okay, number one, fuel. We'll start with that. Now the old lanterns, now what they've done here is they've, what, what I think Coleman has done is, is they've dumbed down the whole mechanism here. Now back in the day you had a, I believe you had an on and an off, and then you had a cleaner for the generator. Now the generator is basically how I understand it, 
It's just basically a little jet like a carburetor has. And that little guy gets clogged up. And in the past, you had a little knob where you would turn that and would clean that out. Now, that has all been incorporated into the mechanism here. So we're going to give it a back and forth there and see what happens. We're going to turn it to the off position. 20. 20 pumps, gentlemen. That's 10. That's 20. We counted them. Okay. Are you ready? We're going back to the old way. Safety glasses on. Listen for the hiss. Oh, the vapors. I see the vapors. Oh, that one really had me concerned there. That, that went on for some time. Oh, don't lose it. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. You see, it just goes to show that the internet lies. We're not out of the woods yet, though, are we? We have an interesting topic to start off with. I want to lead off today with where we left off last time. We didn't have enough time to visit it properly. And that is men living under the tyranny of their overbearing wives. And how the thing that's a mystery to me is how they allow it to happen. You hear happy wife, happy life. You hear things like, well, I wanted to buy a mo motorcycle, but my wife wouldn't let me. Or I wanted to buy a rifle, but she told me I could only have a, a, a pellet gun. This is what we need to talk about today. And I think a lot of dudes kind of accept this existence. One, because they get tired after 20, 30 years of marriage. They get tired of, of doing battle uh, with an overbearing, difficult woman. Uh, that could be one of them. That could be part of the reason. You always have to be vigilant. The other is, and I think more likely, is it's never been modeled to them what masculinity looks like, what a patriarchal family structure looks like. And I think that that, look at this, we are, look, at, look how good we're doing here. We figured it out all on our own. You stay over there. I, I guarantee you one thing, I have a fire extinguisher quite close. I don't trust the, I don't trust the thing. But I think... Probably the bigger reason uh, is that it's just never, it never has been modeled. They haven't seen it. Maybe you didn't grow up around masculine men. And one thing that was kind of interesting is when I, when I started in on this, down this topic, um, I did see a chat of the guy that originally made the comment. And again, I'm not picking on him. I think we just, sometimes you just do something for, uh, for so long because you just don't know different, or you, it never really dawned on you because it's just a social norm, and everyone else kind of does the same thing, and so, so you go on, and, you know, that it's no other reason than that. But the point is, is that I, I, I think I have never fell under that spell of seeking a woman, uh, or a woman needs to give me um, permission to do something, 
uh, or give me an allotment or an allowance, or I have to run things by her before I make decisions. You know, that's that, what the relationship that you have, like when you have a relationship like that, it's not a, it's not a husband wife. It's not the traditional relationship that God designed us to live. What it is, is it's more of a, um, a son mother. Now, I don't know what it is. Of course, there's a lot of dynamics that come into relationships with sons and mothers and fathers and daughters and all this. And if you were traumatized or didn't have the ideal growing up, you know, that definitely bleeds into the future and can be causing you to do these things, you know, 50, 60, 70 years later, still looking at your wife or your partner as your mother, seeking permission. And I, I can't tell you how many guys I've worked with over the years that even would hide things that they would, uh, they wanted to buy something. They wanted to buy a new rifle, but they had to go secretly and squirrel money together and keep everything kind of off the books. And then when, once, once they went out and bought whatever it is that they wanted, then they had to hide it in their very own home. Keep it under a blanket, keep it out in the shop, keep it under the garage, under constant fear that their wife would find it and that they would, um, they'd be in trouble. Now, if you're the person that is so irresponsible that you're taking away the family resources, you're pulling money or resources away from the family that you need for important things, car payments, food, clothing, you know, the, the things that, that make go, life go around. If you're doing that to buy toys, you know, that, that's a whole different deal. You're not able to self-monitor. You're not able to self-regulate. But I can't imagine, it's, it's beyond me, a, a man that is of clear mind and making good decisions and, and is financially frugal to have to go to his wife for permission uh, to do something he wants to do. It just, it, it goes against the grain. I'm in the easy, again, it's, I'm always so black and white on these things. It's always easy for me because I didn't grow up in that environment. I grew up, my dad was no doubt, without a, without a doubt, was the patriarch of the family. What he said was the rule. He was a very uh, confident, uh, intelligent, capable, um, strong leader, just like, like his dad was. You know, and that's just the way that I grew up. I grew up seeing that, that my mom was very um, subservient to my dad. Uh, I would say that they had, you know, had a decent equal marriage, but there was no question who was in charge. So, you know, that was modeled for me, and that's, that's the way that I see it, and that's the way we go forward. But I just can't imagine li living, in, living in that situation, living in fear and, and being so unequally yoked that you basically had a mother going on, a mother as a wife. Anyway, we can speak more to this in the future. All right, let's jump into the Super Chat, see where things are going. I'm very excited. The weather is finally changing. It is supposed to be up in the 70s today. It, things are really, really taken off. So Mrs. W has been out in the greenhouse, and we have a lot of plans. So we're looking forward to that. It's going to be important, beloved, that we share some of this content I'm going to be doing a lot of videos, garden boxes and that sort of thing, because it's, it's important more than ever to have with the just as expensive as things are, and especially produce, it just breaks my heart to see what's going on with the food supply. Mrs. W and I, we talk about this a lot, and you know what, what she always tells people when she's consulting with new mothers, or, or you know, a lot of these girls that are getting married now, you know, are coming to, to places like this looking for information because their mothers did not teach them how to be wives, um, and they don't even know where to start. And they, they think that heating up some um, dino nuggets or popping a frozen pizza or something in the, 
in the oven, that that's providing a meal for their husband. That, that, is, uh, that that's what a good wife does when they just don't know any different. And so it always surprises me when we're in food lines. And we've, I've been going to the grocery store the last couple of times with Mrs. W. And one thing that she's always said is that what you want to try to do at the grocery store, if you want to eat healthy, if you want to provide for your, you want to feed your man and your children healthy, is to stay away from the middle of the grocery aisles. You always go around the perimeter. Now, it's all by design, the way these grocery stores are designed. You have, uh, as you walk in, you know, you can have the produce always seems to be on your left, and then you'll have the uh, dairy uh, and cheese on the back wall at opposite ends sometimes, and then on the very far, far end on the right-hand side, then you'll have the breads and grains and such. And that, those are the staples. And the way they design grocery stores is that you have to, to get all of the staples that you need, bread, grains, milk, butter, produce, fruits and vegetables, and sort, you have to encompass the whole store. And in so doing, they know that you're going to be exposed to the end caps and to all of the processed food that is going on. What people are realizing, and you know, they'll, they'll say to me every time I bring this up, is that, oh, yeah, it must be nice, right? Must be nice to be able to buy, buy produce. Uh, but now it's so expensive. Now it's three, four, five times, and, and heaven help you if you want to buy organic. So what people are forced to do is to, is to buy the processed foods because it's just so much cheaper. You know, when the FDA, if you don't know these things and, and you're not a sophisticated person and you trust the government and, and you, you want to try to do the right thing and you go to the USDA food pyramid, do you know now that the USDA is telling us that Lucky Charms are more healthy than beef? Looks like the Lucky Charms, General Mills, is it, has a more powerful lobby than the beef industry. <laughs> because it's just, it's just laughable, right? So with this understood, that you stay away from the middle, you stay away from the processed foods, and you hunt around the outsides, well, now it's becoming too expensive. And there's a lot of peop people that have no other choice but to hunt, but to shop for the processed foods because they're just so much cheaper. And, and your money goes so much further than paying uh, exorbitant or ridiculous rates for produce. Now, I believe, beloved, I believe this is all by design. You know, we're under a multifaceted attack. Of, there's full spectrum warfare going on right now. We keep thinking that the, that, that the next war that we're going to be involved in is going to be a land war or, or what we've been used to traditionally with tanks and troops and all this. But what we're seeing is they've moved on from that. The attack against the American people and the attack against you know, those of us that don't want to bend the knee uh, to socialism and, and these 15-minute cities and all of these re regulations that are coming down the line. <sighs> I'm ranting. Point being, it takes so little effort to produce your own food. If you think that you need a big piece of property, if you think that you need acres, you do not. Curtis Stone, my friend Curtis Stone, has got uh, so many good videos, and he has proven that you can produce so much food on just a little bit of land, just a, a little lot, just with a few garden boxes. And so I think it's important that we get into this. This has never been my passion. I enjoy building garden boxes and fencing and all the carpentry side of it, but I've never really liked the gardening side of it. But I think it's important that we get into it. It's important for me to learn this as well and help Mrs. W, just for sheer necessity. You know, there's nothing more satisfying in life than when you can pull a great big 
head of lettuce out of your garden or all organic. You know what's in it. No one's been messing with it. No one's injected it with anything. And when you can do that for 1 16th, 1 20th the price, 1 50th the price of what it costs to buy it, it's very satisfying. So look forward to that in the future. Goodness. We had a couple comments um, or said um, up, Overton brought a couple things up. People were talking about um, some problems within Mark 18. If we have time, I'll get to that as well. All right. Almost Homestead. Goodness. Good Shout day. out to you, Almost Homestead. I've got to pull up my... I get nervous on the live stream and my, my mind goes blank here. Almost Homesteading. A $5 super chat, shout out, shout out to you, says, I got a 2001 Kawasaki KLR250 that I mentioned in last week's super chat. Man, that's a good one. 2001, that's when they were really building them good. That's a perfect, perfect bike. What, why I, the, the, the conversation is going to be going to motorcycles from time to time because I am convinced in my mind, especially with the spring coming out, that, that every pro host should have a dual-sported dirt bike of some side, some sort. I don't care if it's an old one, just get something that's reliable, cheap. If it's not reliable, you can make it reliable yourself. They're just not that difficult. It's going to give you something to do out in the shop. And man, what an option for getting around. That point was really driven home to me uh, this weekend. I got the war band together, a couple of the members who are like-minded on this, and uh, they met, met over here, and we had a long day planned, you know, an all-day ride to test out all these systems and different things and test out this theory. Is this going to be the best way to go in the future? Is this the ultimate bug-out vehicle to have just an, inex an affordable and inexpensive Japanese dual-sport bike? And uh, indeed, it's absolutely incredible. We, we have decided to start at the base of Fuji and we work our way around um, to the west uh, and we drive every road and you know whether there be gates or logs across the road or whatever it may be it is just not a problem with these vehicles and connecting all these roads and being able to move freely among your community regardless of toll roads regardless of barricades uh, road closures uh, man it's hard to put a price on that so that realization has got me thinking how do we prepare a machine like this. Let's say you get your 2001 KLR 250 and you're excited. You know, what's the first thing that you do? Tire selection. You know, what's going to be the best all around? How do I how do I deal with with gear? How do I and what gear should I put on there? What happens if if I if I need to pick the thing up if I'm not strong enough? What happens if I need to cross the stream? So the Warband is working on all this. We're doing our work ahead of time so that we can share this with you. But man, it's a formidable piece of equipment and uh, gives you a lot of options and there's just really no place that they can't go so i'm all about that almost homesteading good for you and the 250 size is excellent that's what my friend brian rides and this notion you know and i fell into this as well when you first get into moto and motorcycles and, and such and uh, you, you you always want to start small start small because it's simpler it's usually lighter weight it's less intimidating uh, you don't have to worry about the power you know getting away from you or anything and, and then, you know, once you master it, the, the normal thing that happens is you move on to bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you get up to the point where, you know, goodness, the thing is so big and so expensive, you're afraid to even take it off-road. And that's the purpose of the whole thing anyway. You know, I, I just, we, we keep having this conversation. 
you know, what's the ultimate bike? You know, what, what would be the perfect thing for Proho to have for just a, a bug out vehicle that's going to be all encompassing? Is it a big bike? Is it a small bike? The bigger bikes are somewhat appealing because of the, the ability to haul multiple passengers, the ability to, to haul multiple payload. But then we, when we get out or we're, or we're struggling and we're trying to get around something or over a log, you know, the thing that comes through the mic every time is, I sure I'm glad I don't have a bigger bike because we would have never got through here. So what good is it if you can carry a whole bunch of gear if you can't get around simple obstacles or if the thing falls over, you can't pick it up. So that 250 size, I think that really is a, a sweet spot. So almost homesteading, he's got one 3,000 miles and new tires. He's stoked. Yeah, he bet, you bet he's stoked. Um, I would like to have that bike right now. Goodness, good for you. And Dr. Prepper, shout out to you, Dr. Must Prepper. Nice. Goodness, it's good nice to see you here. We, <laughs> we have a super chat for, well, we better give him, the, we better give him nice. all of the sound drops there. Thank you for your generosity. He writes, been so busy lately with building new workshop, tractor, barn, kids, etc. I've been falling off my Proho wagon, cold soaks, exercise streams. Yeah, that's all right. You know what? That happens. I've heard that from a couple guys. I will try to get week two up for you guys, for the members. Um, but, you know, what you got to do is you just got to get back into it. Uh, that's it. I, I, so you fell down. Uh, you missed a few times, whatever. Just start over. Just get back into it. If you don't want to have the three-minute cold shower, then just do the minute and a half. Minute and a half, week two, two minutes, and just work your way back up there. I get it, man. You know, I do that too. Some, I, I miss the weekends. You know, sometimes I get a little bit lazy, but I don't sweat it. it it's, it's not about every single day. Yeah, that's the goal, to do something every single day. But don't beat yourself up. On, don't beat yourself up or feel like you failed or quit because you you stepped out or you dipped out for a couple days. It doesn't matter. Just get back into it and everything is good. He also says, but I'm recommitting. Make hay while the sun shines. Spring is busy here. Yeah, I agree. And we have a live chat uh, or a message, message from the live chat from T Greeny one Shout out to you who writes, but the issue is bigger than that. The number of good women is smaller than the number of good men. I agree with that comment. I do agree with that comment. And that flies, flies in the face of modern feminist dogmas. You know, in the, you could get the impression, if you were to jump online and to get involved with the, 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 the red pill community or the manosphere, whatever they want to call it, or the pickup art, you, you, you get into this algorithm and all you're going to start hearing is the, the moaning and whinging of women about where did all the good men go? How come there aren't any good men around? Why won't guys step up and we just need to do better? Is that not what you hear? Isn't that not the thing? But what I hear that and then I wonder, what are these women talking about? You know, I, I don't spend time around other women. I, I have no interest in other women. I, I am married, I, I've got my own tradcon. Um, Mrs. W and I uh, are very much in love with a good marriage. What? What interest do I have in talking to other women? Are they going to bring conversation that's interesting to me? Are they going to share interests with things that I like? There, it's just, it's inappropriate on every level. There's no good that can come out of it. And to be honest, wh wh why would I want to, wh what, what does a woman have to have to say that, that I want to listen to? To be honest, now, not, I'm, not, I'm not disparaging women. I'm just pointing out the fact that we're very different creatures. You know, we have different interests. You know, they just, I just don't share interests with them. 
in I have in the past, you know, of course, spent lots of time talking with women. But why? Why did I do that? Why was I? Why would I dedicate my time and resources to do this? Because I wanted something. You know, this was a potential uh, girlfriend, date, potential wife, whatever that may. I wanted something from that. I wasn't talking to them because I was interested in their conver in conversation or what they believe. Yeah, I mean, so. With that being said, they're on there, they're whinging, they're complaining. You could easily get the impression that every guy is a bad guy and they ghost them and, and they don't commit and they won't, they won't do this and they don't treat them well. <laughs> if I contrast that with my experience in the real world with the guys that I meet and hang out with, and I mean, I've been doing, I mean, I'm 54 years old. I've worked with men almost my entire life because I've worked in the trades. There are very, very few, very, very few women in the trades. I mean, I don't know that I ever worked at a company that was construction related that had any woman, women that actually worked in the field. I mean, it, I don't, I really don't recall. And I've worked with hundreds, if not thousands of people in multiple companies. And my experience with guys is they're pretty good dudes. Almost every guy I meet that, that is a good, hard, just a hardworking, just a regular guy, has is a, is a good dude. He's very simple. He doesn't want. He's not asking for too much. He he certainly wouldn't be difficult uh, if a good woman came in his life. In my opinion, I mean, he just wants to have someone that would be kind to him, that would be faithful to him, that would help him in his endeavors and and be a helpmate in life and possibly give him children and, and grow old with him. I mean, we really don't. We're not asking for everything. We're not asking for tens or all the, you know, all of the fake eyelashes and the hair extensions and the costly clothing and the fingernails. Most guys are not interested in that whatsoever. You know what the problem is, is these women, it's who they're picking. They have access to the online sites. We know that. That's changed everything. If you're an old boomer like me and, and you're wondering what all these young guys are whinging about, the world has changed drastically. And I, to, just to sum it all up for you, here's the deal. I mean, I've said this over and over again, but we get new people, so I've got to keep reiterating these things. The reason why these women are having so much trouble is because their standards are too high. They have access to a greater pool of men than they've ever, ever had in history. My grandmother, when she grew up in a small town in, Oak, er, in Idaho, how many men did she have access to? Not very many, right? Just the local guys in the community. Maybe if they went um, to, to town once in a while, she might have uh, expand her uh, repertoire there or expand her access to maybe a few more in, in the neighboring town or the neighboring county. But really, it was a small group of people, and she would do her best, just like a man would do her best, to, to pick the best, the most suitable mate that she could find and then settle in and, and have a family and, and be content with that, right? Quite simple, worked that way for a long, long time. Well now, now grandma, if she was in, in these times, she doesn't have access to just the, the local people in her community. She has access to everyone. She has access to sports stars, sports ball athletes. She's got access to race car drivers, popular musicians, rappers, celebrities. She has access to all these things and the whole world's her oyster. So what, these women don't realize is that just because you have access to these men doesn't mean they're going to commit to you. They think that they they're going to be able to to get a guy that's way 
more handsome, more attractive, got more going on, a higher value, which is the common term now. Uh, um, just because she has access to them doesn't mean that they're going to commit to her. And what they don't realize is that the person who's really winning in this whole environment is not the, the women on the dating sites. It's the top 10% of the men. The top 10% of the men are putting their profile up there and they're getting access to, to the top to 80% of the women. And just because one of these women will get a date or one of these guys will come over and run through or sleep with them or what have you, now they think that that's their standard. They'll never be able to go below that and they're chasing that the rest of their life, thinking that they actually had a chance with this guy when they never did. And so when they're on there moaning and complaining and whining on all the sites, they're whining and complaining because they couldn't lock down a chad. I mean, it really is as simple as that. And that leaves the rest of the 80% of the guys out there. So, I mean, it just makes me laugh when you see it, when you see them whining and whinging and moaning and complaining that there aren't any good men out there. There aren't any, uh, where did the, all the good men go? Oh, the good men are still out there. They're working normal jobs. They're not all six foot tall. They, they, they're just normal good guys. Any one of these guys, so many of these guys would be faithful, excellent providers, good mates, good fathers, but your standard, their standards are too high. And I, I agree, you know, I couldn't agree with that more of what T. Greeny said, that there are a lot more good men out there than good women when it comes to this because of the whole dating debacle. But there it is. I mean, that's the way I see it. Good point. We have a super chat from Daniel... Romero Soul. Shout out to you. Welcome. Thank you, brother. He says, please acknowledge that women in most households contribute 50% of the household income. It would help if you talk to those men. Young men need to learn to do dishes. No, they don't need to learn to do dishes. You know, you run your family however you see fit, but I don't, I don't appreciate you coming here and telling these good men to do this. Why are the women... Do, I, I, I disagree that they're bringing in 50, well, I don't know. Maybe they are bringing in 50% of the income. You know, see, here's, here's the problem. Is because I'm so black and white, I go on and I make all these statements and I back myself into a corner. This is actually a good question. Let me think about this and an answer this smartly. So he, Daniel wants me to acknowledge, let's say, let's give the scenario. So let's say it's a, there's a 50-50 family. A 50-50 family where the woman is bringing in half the income. Let's say that she's bringing in $50,000 a year and that the man is bringing in $50,000 a year. Combined, they're making $100,000. It would help if you talk to those men, young men, needing to learn to do the dishes. Do they need to learn the dishes? Even if, you're, even if you are 50 doing 50% of it. Why does a young man need to learn to do the dishes? Is there not a division of labor in the home? Let me ask you this. Is the woman willing to go and to get the spider? Is the woman willing to get up on a ladder and clean out the gutters? Is the woman going to go out in the hot sun and is she going is, is to mow the lawn, fix the fence? Is she changing the oil on her own car? Is she going out at night with a flashlight and a, and a handgun? because someone's lurking or sneaking around. No, she's not doing any of these things. So the way I see it, even if you do have a, a family like that, even if you do have a 50-50, um, 
Are you saying that the woman, that the man is expected not only to do all of those things, maintain the cars, paint the house, fix the roof, mow the lawn, uh, do all the driving, etc., etc., change the oil on the lawnmowers, all those things, what women don't do and never will do, uh, and to go in and to do half the dishes? No. No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, that, this idea that, I mean, the focus is just on the domestic duties. And really, you know what? I've done the domestic duties before when Mrs. W has been gone, you know, more so lately than ever before because our son Jack is competing in, in debate. And they, they will go out and, and on these debates, and, and that leaves the sweet loaf and I home. So I, I'm in charge of doing domestic stuff, right? I, I got to keep, keep the household running, right? Well, it doesn't take that long to do it. It's actually quite simple. What women, and they never acknowledge the fact that men, have, we have worked so hard and invented so many amazing things to make their lives easier, and yet they don't seem to thank us for it or never consider that. You know, what have we made for them? We've made dishwashers. I mean, how hard is it to take, to clear a table and to put a few, three, four, or five plates, three, or four, or five glasses, drop them into the machine, push the button, have it wash. You know, how long does it take to do that? I could probably do the dishes after a meal uh, in, let's say, at the most, 15 minutes. Okay, 15 minutes, dishes are done. Let's say if we do that times two for breakfast and lunch, that's 30 minutes. So 30 minutes takes care of all the dishes. What about the laundry, right? Of course, people should bring their laundry down. How long does it take to, to open the lid, to put the, the clothes in the magic machine, and turn it on uh, and let it do its thing? And then maybe take them out, maybe it takes two or three minutes, maybe 90 seconds to put it into the drying machine, and then it's all done. You know, I don't see any women out there scrubbing on an old washboard or hanging up by the line anymore. You don't see too much of that, right? So what does that take? So, so let's say another half hour, right? So we've got an hour, we've taken care of the dishes, and we've taken care of the laundry, right? Well, what's after that? Okay, we've got to vacuum and clean the house. Well, not every day, once a week or so. Let's say I had to vacuum. How long would it take me to vacuum? Could I do the vacuum in the house in 30 minutes? Yeah, hour and a half, maybe wash, let's say an hour. So let's say that I've got three hours. Could I do all of the domestic chores in three hours? Yeah, I think I probably could. How do I know that? because I've done it. It's not that difficult. So I don't like to see all of the focus. Well, you don't do the dishes. You need to do half the dishes, but never ever is there anyone pointing out the fact that, oh, well, I'll gladly do the dishes because you just spent an hour out there changing the oil on my car, or you spent an hour and a half washing or detailing it, or you got up and you risked your neck on a ladder on the third story and you clean out the gutters every year. And, you know, come on now. Let's, let's look at the big picture. When I hear a woman whinging about 50-50 dishes, even when her partner is working half the time, I just, I don't buy it, man. I, I, I don't buy it. I hear what you're saying, Daniel. I get that. But, you know, the better option, the better option would be to live on the 50,000 and keep your wife at home. Because there's another hidden cost in here that we are not, we're also not talking about. Let's, let's take our 50-50 take our partnership. Husband makes 50,000, she makes 50,000, all things being equal. Okay, so we've worked out the housework. Okay, you can do the housework in about an hour and a half, two hours a day, 
right? So she does that. I take care of the outside. So we, well, that problem solved, right? So everything is equal. Everything should be happy, right? Well, it's still not equal. Who's spending more on clothing, haircuts, shoes, profession? Then they have to have a complete separate outfit if they're going to be out working because they have to look a certain way. And, you know, you get to the point where if you start running the numbers and lunch is out, you know, women spend more on these things. If you start running the numbers, you start to see even more disparity. And, and, it, and even I think you could even build a bigger, bigger argument for the man not being, you know, he shouldn't be shamed or made to feel bad because he doesn't want to wash the dishes. I just, I don't, I don't buy into this. It's, it's, it oversimplifies it even for me. But thank you, Daniel. I think it's a good topic. It's a, actually quite a good, a, a good point you make. We have a live chat and new member from Silverstone 627. Shout out to you. Welcome. Glad to have you here. He says, just joined as a member, far overdue. Welcome. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you for that. He says, I really appreciate all your content. I'm going to be the first-time father, first father in late September. Very excited to say it's a boy. Well, shout out to you. Congratulations. That is an amazing thing. One of the most amazing thing, one of, one of the most impactful moments of my life was seeing my first son born. Uh, without a doubt. I'll never forget it. When I looked into his eyes for the first, it gives me goosebumps even thinking about it. I looked into his eyes, um, haunting. So you have a lot of of great things to look forward to. I hope everything goes well. Goodness, it's very exciting. We have a super chat from Dan K. Shout out to you, Dan. Welcome, good to have you here. Dan grew up eating wild meat and thinks beef tastes gamier. What is your opinion? Yeah. Wild meat? Well, are we talking about venison? Are we talking about wild meat? Or are we talking about beef? Are you talking about a wild cow? Yeah, so, yeah, we do the same thing. So, uh, chicken, for example. Uh, if you have a, a locally raised chicken or you butcher your own chickens um, and, and they haven't been hormoned and haven't come from a big, like a feed plant or big chicken plant, uh, they're inc- totally different. The taste, the texture, everything about it is different. They're usually a lot smaller as well. Same thing with beef. Um, We've gotten to the point where we've been buying beef locally uh, from an organic, we have organic butcher in the the valley now. And it's difficult for me to even eat just medium grade stuff from the grocery store. Like Mrs. W sometimes that, you know, she'll, pick something up on sale and then she'll cook it and I'll, I'll, I'll know immediately. I'm like, this isn't our beef, is it? This is something different. And then she'll like, no, she'll, no, I got that at the store. You just know immediately. Um, as far as game goes, yeah, yeah, certainly. Definitely more gamey, uh, but you get used to it. It's also more robust. The thing that really sticks out to me, like this morning, we usually, um, you know, sometimes through the winter, you know, the chickens, they don't lay as much as they did in the summertime. So we'll have an egg deficit. Mrs. W will backfill that in with eggs from the store. I saw that this morning. The eggs from the store are a pale, uh, really pale faded yellow. Um, not really much taste to them. Uh, just kind of bland and, and not much going on. Whereas our own eggs or eggs, organic eggs bought locally here in the valley, bright, almost a, like a chartreuse yellow. They're so bright, like the, the moment you see it, you automatically know it. 
I don't think we've ever, we have people over sometimes for brunch and Mrs. W will make eggs and that's always a comment. They'll look at them and they'll, they like, I've never seen eggs that bright before. They're just not used to buying them. And yeah, no question about it. There's, the food is going to be healthier. The food that you raise yourself, the food that you get locally, that you know what's in it is going to be healthier. It's going to taste different, but it doesn't make any difference. You know, all those things you get used to. We have another a super chat from another Aussie Ambo. Goodness, shout out to you, Aussie, who writes, Just home from the ANZAC day, dawn service. They shall grow not old. As we that are left grow old, age shall not weary them. He's talking prophecy here. Now, uh, nor the years condemn at the going down of the sun in the morning. We will remember them. Yeah, no, good point. Good point. Always good to hear encouraging words on Monday. Thank you for that, brother. Phoenixburg, new member. Welcome, welcome. He writes, yes, I didn't grow up with a masculine role model. Mom had five husbands who were all with her for one thing only. Closest I had was my grandfather. Yeah, there you have it. Phoenixburg is actually the one that brought this up at the end of Friday's stream. Do you hear that diesel engine outside? I know what that is. There's a special delivery that the members are going to be very excited about. So what Phoenix Bird, so, you know, he made that comment, and, and I asked him, I, and again, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to go too hard on, on you, Phoenix Bird. I did, that was never my intent. We're not judging you here. We're just trying to, to, we're just trying to find truth, and we're trying to find the reasons why we do things, we, and we want to be the best men that we can be. And we, if we live under the tyranny of overbearing dominant women, then that doesn't, that's not the best that we can be. And it is absolutely not your fault that you were never modeled that, that, you're, that you had a substandard mother. Now, is it right for me to say you had a substandard mother? Well, the proof is in the eating of the pudding. She's running, you know, I don't know what happened to your original father, why he's not around, why he wasn't there to, to teach you the things that you needed to be taught, to raise you. You know, I don't know if she ran him off, I don't know, whatever. I'll doubt that she, I, I doubt that she's ever taken much responsibility. She probably put the blame. He was a bad dude. He was unfaithful. He was this and that. He was a deadbeat, whatever. But we'll, they'll rarely ever take any accountability for being the one who chose this man. You know, I don't know. And then the poor choices you see of bringing multiple men. You know, can you imagine what that would do to you being raised happened to my original dad, you know, um, I know my mom said one thing, and then another man that you try to bond with, and then he's gone, and then another, and another, and another. I mean, can, can you, it's, and the whole time, everyone's supporting the single mother, oh, this poor woman, and oh, she's just been, she's, all these bad men, look what they've done to her, and she picks and she chooses everyone, and never anyone points a finger that maybe, she may, might be responsible in this train wreck uh, that she's created and the wreckage that all of the, her children now have to deal with. Phoenix Bird never saw the model. He didn't, didn't know any different. He's only reacting and, and he's trying to do the best that he can in life and he can only work with the tools that he's been given. And if you're a young man that was raised by a single mother and you've never had access to masculinity, proper men, then you are at a great disadvantage. I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you that, but you already... It's a great disadvantage. 
Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to have to be disadvantaged your whole life. That's why we're here. This is the best thing that we can do. I wish I could gather you all here and we could all go out and talk about this and come up with solutions. And, and we could have strong men where you can see what it looks like, what healthy relationships look like. This is what we have to work with. This is what we can do. So come here. Be faith, a faithful watcher. And, and we'll, we'll all learn together. But I don't blame you, and I, and I did not mean to get after you, Phoenixburg. If you're just doing the best you can, I, I understand. We have a super chat from Cowboy by Choice. Welcome. Good to see you here. Cowboy writes, is a Rocon trail breaker a two-wheel drive motor? I know what it is. He says, it's an off-road mini bike such as a tote. Yeah. So what he's talking about, there's a motorcycle out there. And if you're in front of your computer, you can type in Rocon. R-O-K-O-N. This is a very interesting machine. It's been around for a long, long time. If memory serves, they're even, I don't know if they all are, but, uh-oh. We've lost our audio, huh? Test, test, test. Test, test, test. Okay. Give me sevens. Give me sevens in the chat if that fixed it. You know, I see a pattern here, gentlemen. I'll have to wait. There's a huge delay. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Losing audio, scratchy. Seven's better, okay, good. Mike is, okay, all good. You know what's happened? I, 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 for some reason, I, when I'm talking, I reach over and I, I smack the, the microphone for some unknown reason and it makes it go crazy. <laughs> so I'll stop touching that. All right, so a Rocon, the question is, is the Rocon uh, a good substitute for the having a dual-sported dirt bike? Um, no, it's far too niche. Now, go open up a window and, and search Rocon, R-O-K-A-N or O-N, and what you're going to find is a very strange-looking motorcycle. It has huge balloon tires. Now, these have been around, goodness, probably since the 60s or so. They've, they've been around a long time. I've never owned them, but I've seen them up close, and I know all about them. Would this be a good option? No, it's not a good option because it doesn't, you can't ride this thing on the road. First off, it has no suspension. It is uh, hard mounted. The beautiful thing about the Rocon, now it would have an application maybe. First, if you were going to use it as a pack mule, uh, let's say to pack equipment uh, on a single track or trail somewhere, maybe to put, to throw um, uh, your camping equipment on, go to a remote location where you couldn't get to with a truck. It's gonna carry a lot of payload. The other really cool thing about Rocons is that there is an option uh, of using the the gat the excuse me the tires the wheels as gas tanks, which does a couple things. It gets the center of gravity really really low, and if you're in a tough terrain where you need to climb uh, or get this crazy machine up over uneven ground, that center of mass center of gravity is going to be super low. It's going to give you a lot of traction because of the weight. 
The other thing is uh, with the tires, if they are not being used as fuel tanks, you can actually float the machine across water. You, you could essentially lay it on its side and, and swim and push the whole thing across uh, a lake or a river because of the flotation is crazy. I believe it's also two-wheel drive as a chain drive up front, so it gets off, it goes really good, and it also has a very simple engine, you know, just kind of an old-school air-cooled. Air so it's, for, for that reason, it's very simple, easy to work on. They've been around a long time, proven technology tough and all of that, and that's cool, but they're horrible to ride, not having any suspension apart from just what's in the tires. And they're not street legal, and that that's, you know, that doesn't make it useful, useful at all. We want something that's going to be versatile. If we're going to be spending some money on, on a toy, you can buy a Rokon that you might use once or twice a year for a very specific task, which is fine. You know, if that works for you, then get one. But would you rather have for the same money something that you can use all the time? That's going to be an extra vehicle in the summertime when the weather gets nice. You'll be able to save money on gas uh, if you want to use it as a commuter. I'll tell you, beloved, you will, if you're driving a big diesel pickup or a big Ford with a big engine in it, gas, diesel, and you've got any sort of a commute whatsoever, the money that you will save on wear and tear, tires, brakes, fuel, oil changes, all that stuff, it will pay for that motorcycle, I would say within probably 18 months, maybe even a year. And, and you get to, so you get something that you can enjoy. You, you have something on the weekends when you want to get away from the house. You want to go and have a little bit of freedom. And there's no freedom for a man like being able to turn that throttle and have that throttle therapy and just get away for a little bit. Just go for a ride and cruise. You have an opportunity where you're going to meet like-minded men. It's just, it's a win, win, win. So a Rokon is not at all to be compared with a dual-sported enduro dirt bike. Uh, but just know that, just so, just so you know. But they're cool. They're just not cool enough to own. They're, they're cool to look at. Goodness, we have a super chat for $500 for David Hale. We're, break, we're bringing out all the, uh-oh, where's my sound drops? We're going to break out all the stops. Oh, they're gone. <laughs> they're, they're gone. I'm going to have to do it manually. Okay, are we working? Nope, they just all decided not to work anymore. It's incredible. It's truly incredible. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. I'm sorry I don't have an awesome sound drop for you. Goodness, that is incredible. Dave's, Dave, Mr. Dave Hale's been a member with us for a year now. A $500, goodness. Thank you so much. He says, I am the despised of society. That's an interesting way to lead off. A white male, married to a 33-year-old, two great kids, Home and redo, home offshore, five years, well weaponized with all that I have reestablished my relationship with Christ as a Savior because of this channel. You are making real difference out here in the real world. Goodness, shout out to you, David. Thank you for your generosity. I, I am glad to see that. Yep, yep. It is. Yeah, it is. We, we, that, that's a good way to put it. He says, I am the despised of society. We, are, we as, as white men, have essentially become the lepers of society. And that's going to change. It's, it looks dark right now, gentlemen. It looks, when we turn on the media and how much we're disadvantaged, now we're disadvantaged in everywhere. We're basically a discriminated 
class. <laughs> you know, you know I mean, that we, we, we really are. And what I'm happy to see, and, and I thought that this was a bad thing for a while, that men were checking out. Uh, guys that would have normally put in the overtime, guys that would have normally had done an extra level of effort for the community, like we talked about last week. You know, like those guys, I mean, there's so many guys around here I see that stay late because the snow plow needs chains. Guys work overtime because the power needs to come on and they're willing to do this. You know what I'm seeing after COVID and my, a lot of my friends that would have gladly stepped up and done whatever it took to keep the power on, to keep the water flowing, to keep the roads cleared, they're not doing it anymore. And they basically said, oh, you don't like what we do? You're gonna, not only are you not going to thank us for the effort that we put in to make a life comfortable for our families and for our women and for our community, but you're, now you're discriminating against us and telling us how evil we are and the patriarchy and all this nonsense, then fine, do it on your own. Do it on your own and then see how that goes for you. And it's, there's been enough of us that are doing it where it's actually starting to have an effect. We saw the effect in the big snowstorms on the East Coast and the West Coast. Did you see all the people crying? Oh, wh how, wh how come our road's not plowed? Oh, how come, how come this? How, how come that? Well, I just told you why. Because dudes are not doing it anymore. Not the capable guys. There may be people sitting in there filling those positions. They may, might be able to point to it and say, yeah, we have the, we're fully staffed. So you're not staffed with the same quality of person. Because the white man is the one that has built the country. The black man is the one that is out there on the construction site. The Mexican man, all of them, all of us together are what makes this country go. And we're not asking for special privileges. We're just asking for the acknowledgement, uh, just a thank you. That's all men really want. We'll, we'll go to the ends of the earth for our society, for our country, uh, for our women, for our children. But the moment we're not appreciated, the moment we don't, that we're told that we're not wanted or not needed, okay, we'll, we'll see. And we're going to see more and more, just the bare minimum, as they bring their attention on, and focus on their own communities and their own families and are just not willing to step up and do all that extra work that we've always done that has made America so exceptional. That's going to be changing. Thank you, David. Sounds like David's doing well. I like that. Well weaponized. That's pretty good. We should all as Proho be well weaponized. With all that I have reestablished my relationship with Christ as a Savior because of this channel. Man, that's awesome. That is so encouraging to me, David. It's so encouraging to me. I, I, sometimes you wonder, what, what are we doing here, right? I was, I was thinking this morning, 55 lives, this is 55 live streams that we've done. And I thought, what are we doing here? You know, can, how long can I do this? You know, what, is there going to get a point where I've told all the stories and I don't have anything else to share? But right there, that has completely changed my day to hear something like that, that we're having effect here. And I, I, I don't take credit for this, man. Praise God that folks are being reached. I, I'm encouraged by this. You know, I have to, I have to prove... This forces me to take a hard look at my core beliefs and where I stand because I have, I have to, to argue them. 
I, I have to make, make, make arguments for why I believe the way I do, why I think that this is the best way for Proho to, to go or to behave or how relationships should be. So this has been a massive benefit for me as well. But thank you, David. Goodness, that's awesome. Good for you. We have a super chat from Nilfinity. Shout out to you, Nilfinity. No, no sound drop. He says, the dating world is hard these days. I'm glad I'm not in it. Recently had one call me a filthy effing redneck. I said soap will clean me up, but no I said soap will clean me up, but nothing will clean up that attitude. Not my best moment. <laughs> you know what's so disingenuous? Oh, the old fire's getting hot. What's so disingenuous about so many of these modern women is that the double standard. You know, she, I'll tell you what, she, this was, this was so aggravating and so difficult to, to I guess, how do I word this? How to, to deal with women. Is you could take 10, 10 dudes, right? And if one of them is attractive, let's take the same, same woman, right? And they, they go up, let's say the 10 dudes uh, that are, the nine of them that are unattractive, they, they cold approach this woman. Let's say she's at the grocery store or a parking lot, wherever. And like traditionally, you see something and, you know, you shoot your shot, right? You walk up there and, and you try to start conversation. Well, <laughs> what will happen is that if you don't meet her standards, if you are, if she doesn't think you're attractive uh, or on her equal or anything, she will not react favorably to being approached. Um, she will say things just like we heard right here, you know, uh, foul mouth, uh, get away from me, uh, you're a creep, uh, you're a stalker, uh, you're a loser, you're a dusty, what have you, uh, and, and, and will just completely reject these men. And they're not only rejecting them like they did back in my day, but they're also, now they're shaming them, and some of them are even pulling their phones out to record this so that they can get some internet clout and they can they can embarrass this person publicly for having the gall to approach them. Yet you let the Chad come up and say the exact same thing. Is she reacting that way? No, everything's perfect. Everything's perfect. So her reaction for the same approach is going to be different. It's going to be dependent upon if you're, whether you're attractive or not. So when they're complaining and they're whining, oh, men don't approach me anymore, and how come no one will ask me out, and I'm, I'm, uh, the only option I have to find a suitable husband is through the dating sites because men just don't come up to anymore, me anymore, that's your fault. You've done that. You and your sisters. You and your sisters that set up cameras in the gyms to try to entrap some guy that accidentally or briefly looked at your, you looked your way or looked at you so that you can... Uh, attack him and you can publish him and try to destroy him online. You, you're responsible for it. The Me Too movement. You're responsible for it. So you, you made your bed. Yeah, you're going to get that. I mean, that's, that's just the state of women these days, um, especially younger women, is what Neil Finney's talking about. Foul-mouthed, aggressive, masculine, disagreeable, uh, bringing nothing, don't know how to cook, don't know how to be wives, don't know anything, don't know what a man wants, just me, 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 me. What are you going to do for me? What do you, how are you going to entertain me? What, what are you bringing to the table? Get your passports, gentlemen. 
It's, that's just the way that it is. It, it, it's just almost impossible to find traditional women in this country, especially if you're, if you're looking in the cities. It puts you in a bad, difficult spot. You know, it's one thing to say, well, we'll just go out to the country. We'll go out to the Midwest. We'll go out to a rural town, and then we'll find some. Well, I mean, now you're, you're, you're already an outsider. You know, you're already at a disadvantage there. Um, how are the local guys going to react to that? You coming there and there and trying to steal all their Tradcon women. <laughs> and, and really, the ones that are attractive are going to leave. That's why small towns are dying. You know, it's no longer cool or most people don't want to live in these rural areas anymore. Most of them are dying. And so they move to the city where they can get on the dating sites. So you might as well just, you might consider getting a passport and going to countries that have more traditional women. I, I just, if that's what you want, I don't have much hope in finding American women. We have a member's, member message from Nick Wolfer. Shout out to you, Nick. Nick's been with us for five months. He says, in stream 041, we discussed my older girlfriend with debt situation. I remember that. She was 120K in student loan debt. Just wanted to update that I am now single after receiving counsel from all you. Thanks. <laughs> Very good to hear that, Nick. Yeah, so that's, that's another thing. Man, can you, it's just the, uh, the gall of some of these women that are making all these demands. And if that wasn't enough, how about... They make all these demands. Uh, the guy's got to be tall. He's got to be six-figured. He's got to be in shape. He's got to, you know, he's got to be all these things. And then they're dragging $120,000 with a student debt loan. Oh, my goodness. I'm glad to hear that. So just to remind everybody what happened. Last week, Nick came up with a problem. He had a girl that he'd been dating for some time. They're definitely moving in the direction of getting married. The girl certainly wanted that. If I remember right, there was a couple, they weren't equally yoked. Uh, she wasn't particularly ambitious. She wasn't particularly, probably wasn't, I don't think she was on his level intellectually. So intelligence, they were unequally yoked. And that's not her fault. I'm not saying that it is. You know, there are women that are smarter than their men sometimes. It, that intelligence isn't, a male-female thing. But what I'm saying is being unequally yoked, you want to be with a partner that has as much com in common with you as possible. You don't want to have to dumb down your conversation and explain everything to a, a mate that is not able to keep up with you. you know, that, that might be cute for a few months while you're dating, but that's going to get very, very old when you're 10, 20 years into it. So the Nick brought these things, and he had some legitimate concerns, and one of them was that she was packing around $120,000 with a student loan, and he'd been very responsible. He had, had done things right and got himself in a good position. And I, I, I made the comment that, and the, and the thing that was really the killer on this one was that they had been dating for some time. She was dating with a purpose. I believe that they knew that they were moving in that direction, and she didn't do anything to deal with this student debt loan. Like, she should have thought, hey, I've got a good guy here. This is something I need to lock down. I'm not going to leave any stone unturned. I'm going to make sure that I, I'm going to give him the best version of me that I can give. That means taking care of myself, um, uh, keeping myself fit, you know, not getting overweight, uh, pursuing hobbies, you know, pursuing education, whatever that may be. But it, 
the fact that she didn't ever attempt to get rid of this student debt loan was a problem for me. Because her expectation was, well, I'll just marry him and he'll take care of it. Then it's his problem. Then I don't have to deal with it anymore. Had she taken steps, even if she hadn't paid it off, I don't, I don't care. If a woman had, in three or four years, if she had paid 25% of it off and had made sacrifices, talked about it, I want to get this taken care of, I don't want to drop this, I don't want this to be a burden to us when we're trying to get our lives started, we may be having a very different discussion. But she didn't do that, so she's lazy. And she, to, to assume that, that you would be okay with being saddled with a massive debt like that when you're just trying to get started in life is the epitome of selfishness. So Nick took the advice of myself as well as the middlemen in the group here, and he is now no longer with that woman. Shout out to you, Nick. Man, I'll bet, you know, it's hard. Your family probably had expectations. She definitely had expectations and her family as well. It's hard. You feel like you may be disappointing a lot of people. But the bottom line is this, Nick, is that they're not living your life. And you know what? You don't have to answer to any of them. They have their chance to live their life and to do the best, make the best decisions that they know how to make. They do not control your life. And people will try to manipulate you especially when you're a prize. What you had going on and the responsibility that you sh showed at such a young age, you are the prize when it comes to the dating arena. Stay focused, Do, get a hold of your biology, don't make women the focus of your life, make the focus of your life establishing yourself. Get your affairs in order, build your, get your bag, build your business, get your homestead, whatever it takes, then even at 40, 35, advanced age, you will have your pick, especially in the economy. These 304s are going to be cheap by the dozen. The more the economy goes downhill, the more pressure it puts upon them, the more they're going to be looking for a lifeboat. So I warn you, gentlemen, if you have your life together, you have your act together, be careful of these women. They do not trust what they say. Every once in a while, you might be able to find a virtuous one, but it's going to be a minefield out there. Do not date single mothers. Do not date anyone over 35. Do not cohabitate at all. You are the prize. You set the rules. You say how it goes. That's how you enter in these relationships. Get yourself, once you get in a position where you're not operating out of fear, you're not operating out of desperation, meaning your paycheck to paycheck, then you're going to be, you're going to have a confidence and an attitude that you've never experienced before. You're going to be able to take it or leave it. You're going to be able to see clearly because you're not going to be operating out of scarcity, a scarcity mindset. Be patient. Put off the satisfaction that you might have initially that will be short-lived, that will ultimately, as the good book tells it, turn into gravel or sand in your mouth. Put it off get yourself established, then operate from, operate from there. Shout out to Nick, man. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you for checking back with us and giving us a heads up on that. We have a member's message from Alec McCaskill. Welcome, Alec. Alec's been with us for 12 months. East Coast guy. East Coast guy. Alec says, love your videos and wisdom. Thanks for all you do. Best wood stove for a thousand square foot cabin. I've had a lot of wood stoves. 
I've built my own wood stoves. I've had double barrel wood stoves. I've had American steel wood stoves. I've had European, northern uh, cast steel wood stoves. And I've had wood stoves. I've had soapstone wood stoves. The best, the most, if you want just the creme de la creme, the most comfortable is without a doubt the soapstone wood stove. I would definitely look at that. Now, soapstone's going to cost a little bit more money, uh, but it's well worth it. This is a soap. This is a soapstone stove by here. The Hearthstone. Hearthstone is kind of probably the main brand for those. If you go to their website, they'll rate the wood stoves by how many square feet they can actively heat. Now, this is in a, a 2,500 square foot shop or so. This wood stove is the Green Mountain 80, I believe it is, and I think it was rated up to, I don't remember, it's like 3,000, 4,000 square feet. So it's actually bigger than it needs to be in here. And it does a great job. We have a steel building with um, very poorly ceiling uh, garage door uh, and man door. It is insulated, but it's not a super high R value. So, I mean, it's, it's way less efficient than most homes are going to be. And I can start this stove and within, I would say an hour and a half, I'm pushing the damper in, unless it's really, really cold. Like even right now with a damper in, it's, it's blowing me out of here. Uh, and it's probably 40, 45, 45 out there. So what my experience with that, the Hearthstone ratings is it seems to be somewhat accurate. But if you go on their site, uh, just search by uh, soapstone or steel. The benefits of your soapstone are gonna be a couple. They don't get as hot as a steel stove. So that's very appealing in that it gives you a lot more options when you're building. You can push it closer to the wall. Now the old wood stoves, like the old uh, quadrifiers and those ones that we all grew up with, you'd see those things practically in the middle of the room. They got so hot. You know, some of those are like quarter inch steel. They got so hot that they, the the radiant heat off of them would actually catch a wall, catch a house on fire. And you had to sit them on a special hearth and you had to pull them off the wall. You, we've all seen that, right? Just so it wouldn't burn the house down. Well, these new stoves, because of the soapstone, they're not near as hot. Uh, you can get them really close. This one right here is eight inches, I believe, and that's code. Eight inches from the wall. So that gives you, if you have a smaller home or a cabin, that gives you a big, uh, that's a big advantage not having a stove is taking up so much real estate. So there's that advantage to it. The other is, is the heat is much nicer. It's, it's more even. You don't just get that. It's, it's either burning you out or it's off, you know, and that's what we ran into with our Yotul stoves, our steel stoves is then they were hot or cold, hot or cold, always just feast or famine all the time. Whereas a soapstone, soapstone is almost like a magic material in its ability to hold heat and to hold coldness. You can go buy, and some whiskey aficionados will do this, they'll buy soapstone ice cubes, little square cubes, and they'll put that in their whiskey or their drink. And what that does is it gives it, it cools it. You know, you put them in their freezer and it holds that cold. It, it will cool the alcohol without diluting it as water ice will do because it melts into the, you know, melts in and dilutes it. So that, you know, that's kind of a, just a, one of the features of soapstone that has the opposite effect with heat. So what I find with this stove is that I'll come in at night, you know, I don't know, seven, eight o'clock or so, and I'll fill up the wood box and I'll damp it down. 
And I just leave it, I do it that way because Mama Kitty likes to sleep under it. She likes the heat out here. And when I come in in the morning, if I come in a little bit later, like at eight or nine, the fire is out, but the soap, the, the stove is still warm. It's still radiating heat because of that thick soapstone that that stove is made out of radiates heat for hours after the fire goes out. So that's always a nice feature. The downside of soapstone is it's typically a little bit more expensive and it doesn't, it's going to take it longer to heat up. If you're in a type of situation where, you know, maybe a shop, if you're just, if you have a shop where you're just running out into, you want to start a fire, you want instant heat for a job that you're doing, and then you're going to let it run out and you're going to go somewhere else. Maybe soapstone's not the best. A steel stove is going to heat up much quicker and throw heat faster and hotter, but everything is about compromise and trade. If you want the best, if you want the coziest, nicest feeling fire, a nice heat where you really can't even feel where it comes from because it radiates so smoothly, the soapstone is really where it's at. And I've only had hearthstones, so I don't know about the other brands, but I, I, I wouldn't buy it. If, as long as I had an option, I wouldn't buy a non-soap stove wood stove. One other downside that you need to know before you make your decision is you're not going to be able to cook on a soapstone stove. You'll be able to simmer, stew, beans, um, you know, that type of, type of thing. It, it'll, I don't know it's going to cook. I don't, you know, you may be, might be able to cook an egg on it in an emergency, but where your steel stove is, you can, you know, it's going to be hotter. So you just have to make your decision on what's best. We have a member message from Jamie who says, how often do you use your half inch standard sockets? It seems like I only use metric now. Always good to see you live on the live stream. Man, you know, that's so funny that you should ask that. I was thinking about that just on Friday. How often do I use non-metric sockets? So what he's talking about, our socket set, our wrench set, those of us that live in America, and we've always had to have two because we, had, we have a mix of everything. That's what's nice about Europe is that they're, they're all metric. So you only have to have one set of tools. You know, that's a, it's a, when you think about how stupid it is to have to have two sets of tools, two sets of sockets, quarter, three-eighths and half, two sets of box and wrenches, metric and standard, two sets of torque bits, two sets of Allen bits. And then some of them you have to have three because then you get Torx and Allen, metric and standard. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I could pre if I could just go to one system or the other, I could probably cut my tools by almost a quarter, maybe a third. But to answer your question, almost never. Uh, the bikes I work on more than anything, what I work on more than anything are the motorcycles. And those are all metric. Um, my truck... Mrs. W's car, just our regular passenger vehicles, those are all metric, uh, except for the lug nuts. <laughs> you know, so they're, they're still a mix. Uh, really, the only thing that I work on that is not metric anymore is um, maybe some small engines uh, on stuff. Yeah, very, very little. Now that you mention it, very little. He says, how often do you use a half-inch standard socket? Uh, I haven't used a half-inch standard socket I can't even hardly, but not, it's been a while. The one I do use, though, is the 8, 10, and 13 millimeter sockets. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good observation, Jamie. Hey, I have a riddle for you. See who's smart. Did you know that on every 
single vehicle in the world, regardless of where it's made, Korea, China, Japan, U.S., Russia, even if they're in countries where the car is 100% metric, there's still one thing on every single vehicle that is non-metric. Do you know what it is? Put your best answer in the chat. Thank you, Jamie. It's good to see you back, too. Mr. Shane, new member, welcome. I'm, if I had sound drops, I'm pushing them right now. Why don't they work? Why? That makes no sense to me. This is an arbitrary, hateful piece of software. Hmm. I don't know. Shane, welcome. Shane writes, I'm planning to trip a trip to the U.S. My wife and I, 20-year anniversary, and I haven't been back for 22 years. I'm Irish. My wife is English. I live in the UK. Where do you recommend? Condition, no general bad weather, no big cities. Oh, that's a good question. So if someone were going to, this is an Irish man too, so he's not going to want to be too hot. I, I've seen some poor, I seen a, uh, a scene I saw. I saw a poor Irish man in Col Irishman in Colorado one time. I used to, when I worked as a firefighter there, I lived up in Summit County and my house was like a 10,000 feet. So I was climatized to the area. And one thing that I liked to do was I loved to climb 14ers. There's a whole bunch of peaks over 14,000 feet. So I had a job with the fire department. I worked a Kelly schedule on V shift. So I'd work uh, three, one on, one off, one on, one off for three days in a row. Then I had a four day, four days off. And on those four days, I would take off and I would, I, my goal was to climb all of those. And so I would climb those all the time. And I remember one time, I saw, I passed an, a couple from Ireland and they were redheaded and white and pasty as people. They were so white that they were darn near translucent, you know, when you get that, that type of whiteness. And I passed them because I was high speed guy back in the day and they were going along with their poles. I passed them going up to a big 14er and they were going to climb it. Well, one thing that I learned quite quickly is that, um, I have never experienced sunburn in my life like I have at high elevation, where the air gets really thin. The sun is incredibly intense. Now, my family on my, on my mother's side is Native American, so I, I don't, I've never wore sunscreen. You know, I, I go out, I just, I get really dark. I, I've never had a problem with the sun before. Until I moved up there, man, I ran up, the first 14er I ran up in the summertime with, uh, with being out about 12 hours, uh, I have never been so sunburnt in my life. I came back from my arms and my hands blistered with sunburns. I actually had to take two days off of work because I couldn't even move. I was covering myself with, oh, it was miserable because of the intensity of that sun. Well, I passed that Irish couple <laughs> on my way up. I was gone all day, and I don't know what they did or what happened, but I passed them again coming back about eight, nine hours later. I have never in my life seen two people more uncomfortable, sunburnt, and miserable as that Irish couple that must have went up there at that elevation with no sunscreen and basically got their skin seared off. It was absolutely pitiful. I will never forget that. So I'm going to be sympathetic here. You know, what type of, what type of year? When are you coming? 20-year anniversary. He hasn't been here for 22 years lives in the UK. It depends on what you want, man. If, you live, if you're coming from the UK, you probably want a little bit of sunshine. 
you know, I can just tell you what my favorite places are. I've been to a lot of places in the country. Um, I like the parks. If I was going to come here as a tourist, what I would what I would do is I would rent an RV. I would rent an RV. So there's a lot of really good companies around um, rent RV, rent America or whatever. That's not very expensive. And what you can do is you show up. What I would probably do is I would fly into Salt Lake City, Utah, maybe somewhere around Utah or so. And depending on the time of year, you don't want to be there in, in the middle of summer. It's super hot. So with this understood, this would be in spring or fall, rent an RV and, and hit some of the parks. That's such a good way to travel. Uh, Utah has so much, whether you go to um, Zion or Moab, uh, you'll be able to uh, do lots of fun things. You can rent a Jeep there and drive on uh, like the Slick Rock Trail. If you guys like to get out and ride electric, electric bikes now, make a lot of those things accessible. Um, that's probably what I would do. I, I think of all the... Of all the states, who has the most and the best stuff? California, Northern California has some of the prettiest and, and neatest, most beautiful places in, in country. If you talk about the Sierras and Yosemite and up around Big Bear, and then you can go over to the coast, that, that would be another option I would consider as well as Northern California. Uh, especially with an RV, go over to the coast and go to see the redwood trees up the highway up, um, and all of the, the Pacific Ocean. Um, even if you just did a trip, if you want to come when, when it's the, if, if it's middle of summer, one trip that's really, really fun is to go up the old, the 101 highway up the West Coast. And you can start up at, um, you know, up north of Seattle. Uh, and you work your way down and, and do the coast roads and go through all of the small fishing villages. That's pretty nice, too. And the weather, it never gets hot there. And if you're an Englishman, you'll enjoy the, 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 the climate. will agree with you. You can bring your tea, tweed and your wool. And you'll also find proper fishy, chip chippies, <laughs> fish and chip chops, uh, which you're not going to find inland. So just off the top of my head, the two places that I would go to would be a tour up the coastal highway, Oregon, Washington, NoCal, or if it's spring or fall, I would fly into Salt Lake and I would visit the national parks, uh, Canyonlands, Zion, Moab. They're pretty extraordinary. And they're so other world compared to what you're used to, you'll feel like you're on another planet. It's pretty amazing, pretty awesome. That's what I would do. Let us know, Shane. Let us know where you go, what you decide on. That's very exciting. Very exciting. Mr. Joel Witter, shout out to you. Super Chat says, what happened to the tool cart videos? Tool cart videos. What videos were those? Tool cart. Did I miss something? Give me some more information. I don't know if I, for, I, I thought we finished the tool cart videos. We have a member message from Spartan219. It's good to hear from Spartan. Now, Spartan before I read his comment, has bring you guys up in the loop here. He reached out to us when we first got started with the live stream and he was in a very deplorable situation with an overbearing and dominant woman that, and he was stuck. Didn't have a car, didn't have anything going on. He's trapped being abused in this horrible environment. So we've been trying to work with Spartan, encouraging him. He's been working very hard to get himself out of that situation. So I'm hoping that this is a positive update today. Spartan writes, and he's been a member with us for three months now as well. Cody, my friend, is offering to give me 
Oh, Cody, my friend is offering to give me $10,000 cash so I can get a truck. That's a good friend indeed. He is going to take it from his 401k. All he's asking is that I pay it back to his 401k. No interest. I'm wary, but it would be the easiest way. Good idea. If not, why? You have to really consider this. Uh, this is a very generous proposal. Um, you're very fortunate to have someone, a friend like this in, in your life. So let's start with that. If you do accept this, and I'm not going to tell you either way, I just, well, let's talk about the pros and cons of this. I'm not going to say that you shouldn't. I'm, you very well may, but a friend that's willing to step up and to help you out in a situation like this is a valuable friend indeed. And one thing that can destroy a friendship like that is money. Money, money has a tendency of um, getting in the way of those things. And what, what happens to people, I don't know, what happens, but how do I say this? Here's what I would do. I would accept this on the condition that you very clearly lay out what your plan, what your plan is to pay this back. There should be nothing left on the table. I would actually write out uh, I would write something out almost like a contract. I don't care if he's not asking for it or not. You just do this on your own. You go there and you, ex you explain, you have a conversation so that both parties are clear on what's going on. Number one, thank you. I, I will accept this $10,000 loan um, so that I can get a new truck and get myself going. I can get a job. I can get out of this horrible environment I'm in. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, make a contract and I'm going to tell you exactly what I plan on doing. I will be making payments of such as that so much back to this and, and you do not miss those payments. And you do not, uh, and you just don't leave anything unclear on the table. Don't assume anything. Oh yeah, I'll get to it when I can. Time has a, has a way of, especially for people who borrow money, has a way of kind of you got to get to the point where you feel like some people feel like, well, I don't really need to pay this back. And, and then you start avoiding the person and then you start resenting the person because you owe them money. And then you put everyone in a di difficult position. And it's rarely the guy that loans the money that ever causes the issue. It's usually the guy that gets embarrassed because maybe he didn't pay it back fast enough, or maybe he didn't put enough emphasis on that. You need to really understand that the most important thing in your life next to getting yourself established is to get that paid back. And I would, even though, even though you, he said you didn't owe him anything extra, make it worth his while. At the end of that, here's what I would do. Let's say that you, 24 months, 18 months, whatever you can do to get that paid back, and you need to move, move heaven and earth. Once you get established, and if you get a job and you get some income coming in, if you could get that knocked out in, in 90 days, that would be the best. So if you tell him, this is a year, I'm going to make a payment of $1,000 a month, I'm going to make payments of $500 a month, whatever that may be, whatever you're comfortable doing, don't bite off more than you can chew. But the main thing that you need to do with him is just communicate. If he's that type of dude, he's not going to have a problem with that. 
okay, let's say $500 a month. Let's say something comes up, life happens. This new car you bought now needs a $3,500 transmission and you're not able to make that payment. I think for most dudes, if it was me, if I'd loaned the money, if you were just to call me and say, hey, this has happened, um, I, I gotta pay for this first um, and then I will resume, I don't think that that would be a problem. Not at all. Um, I, just not an issue. Do the best you can, get it paid off as quickly as possible. And what I would do at the end of that is that, is that I would make it worth his while. Meaning even though I'd paid the $10,000 off, I would make him benefit from this as a thank you and in maybe some sort of a gift. You know, maybe you take the last $500 payment that you've been, let's say you've been paying 500 and, and you've got it all paid off and everything's square. Make one more. Make one more and either give him cash or buy him something that he wanted. You know, if you know him well enough, there's something that he's always wanted for himself or a special gift or, or who knows what. Uh, but so that when he remembers that whole transaction, he won't remember the time or two that you had to call and, and miss a payment. He won't remember the fact that you, he loaned you the 10 grand. What he'll remember is that not only did you pay it off, just like you said you would, but you also showed your appreciation by making him benefit from the situation. Not because he asked for it, but because you wanted to do it. And, and not only will you have, you will have a friend for life. That's great. That's a real answered blessing. I, I wouldn't turn my nose up on it. You know, it's your personal decision. Sometimes pride can get into it and a man wants to do everything himself and doesn't want to be the recipient of charity. But also sometimes God works in mysterious ways and brings people into your lives in situations to help you. And this very well may be an answered prayer. There's been a lot of us praying for you, Spartan 219. This, this could be um, uh, from God. So don't despise it. Uh, just know what you're getting into. Be above board and make sure both parties are 100% crystal clear on what the conditions are. And I think that you should move forward and, and, and go for it. I think that's wonderful. Excellent. Man, that's, a great, that's great to hear. I'm glad to hear that. I'm really glad to hear that. Shout out to Spartan219. Goodness. Jezza, 4300, welcome. Good to see Jezza back. Jezza said, has been with us for two months and writes, could you explain the origin definition of skookum chuchur? As I, need to, I needed to add that to my vernacular, it's been my favorite thing to say, yes. Well, there's a couple things. So the word skookum uh, is, uh, it's an old Indian term, how I have always understood it. It's very, it's a regional uh, to the Pacific Northwest mostly Oregon, Washington, and up into uh, British Columbia, that area. So it came out of one of the many native languages, and it just means something that's like really amazing, like, like awesome, incredible. Skookum, it's good, it's amazing, it's awesome, fantastic. So it's, it's a term uh, that I gr grew up with, and it's also a term that is heavily or often used in wildland firefighting. Um, man, that new, that's a skookum truck right there, or um, that's a skookum unit, or man, that's a skookum pack, that sort of thing. So that's how it's used. Now, skookum chuchur, the first time I heard that is from fellow YouTuber and brother in Christ, AVE. AVE is a content creator 
he's all he doesn't show his face and he's shrouded in mystery so not i i don't know what his background is but he's one of the most capable men on on the internet he's obviously has a lot to do with manufacturing he has a lot of knowledge about uh heavy industry like mining and has traveled all over the world so he must be some sort of a specialist that works in mining or engineering and he's he comes off as a as a kind of a light-hearted blue-collar guy, uh, but if you watch him for any amount of time, you realize that the, he's incredibly bright. He's 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 very very smart, very very intellectual guy, very retrospective, and he knows what time it is. So he runs a popular YouTube channel called AVE, and he coined the term skookum choocher, meaning something that uh, choocher, it means it's chooching, it's running, means it's a good running unit, it's a good, a, it's, um, it's a good tool, it's a good engine, that, that sort of thing. So I, I try to give him credit when I use it, but he, he invented, he put the two together. He's the, the origin, as far as I know, of the, the skookum choocher, which is a great term because it describes so many things perfectly, <laughs> doesn't it? I've always liked that. But you can thank AVE for that. And you should, if you want a, a good channel to subscribe to and some great content, um, I've, learned, I've learned so much about tools, uh, and especially manufacturing from his channel. I've learned a, a great deal from his channel, probably more than any other channel on, on the platform. I know the entire chat is screaming, don't borrow cash from a friend. I, I get it. You know, I, and I covered that as well. But it's easy for you to say when you're not in the fight. And who's to say, you know, I have, it is also, you know, don't lose the sight of this. As someone who's been in a position and has been able to help families get out of things that were out of pressure, out of situations, to help people financially, it's a great blessing to be able to do that as well. It's a, great, it's a great blessing to be able to be an instrument of God to help someone out that's been down and out. You know, we've been given the commandment, two commandments sum up the gospel. What are they? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, how I like to look at it is this. Carry one another's burdens. So, yes, there are... It's, the probability of this going sideways is huge. If you do not follow the, the plan that I laid out by being upfront and having a contract, having everything clearly understood what's going to happen, and that's the, onus, the, the, the responsibility of that goes on you. Just because he's not asking for it doesn't mean you should do it. You should take this very seriously. So who am I or who is the chat to, to say that this isn't, divine inter intervention, that this isn't, isn't an answered prayer or from God, that a good man has stepped up to help a brother in need. So I get what you're, what you're saying, and if you go into it loosely with everything kind of fast and loose and nothing written down and, and no clearly defined expectations, then the chance of it going bad is very, very high. That's why I went to pains to explain how to do this, how the best way to do it, and don't necessarily just automatically say that this is a bad idea. Don't take the blessing away from the man. Don't take away the blessing from the recipient. And don't meddle in things that don't, don't bother you. We, we've given our advice. We've given our take. 
and it's up for, to, for Spartan 219 to make the decision. I just want him to understand, don't take it lightly. And definitely don't mess up this friendship. And you will mess it up if you get slack with this, with, with returning this payment. Goodness, we have two new members, Nilfinity. Welcome, Nilfinity, and Ethan Carta. Shout out to you two. Welcome. Good to have you here. Bacon Seven Eggs, a brand new member and $20 Super Chat. Shout out to you. And Mr. Joel Witter. Joel Witter writes, we got videos of all the contents of the beginning beginner's toolkit. But as far as we know, we didn't get a video on the tool card itself. Well, I, I know what you're talking about right now. So I ordered two. So what he's talking, to get, is talking about is last year we put together kind of a snap-on quality tool set for affordable price. And what we did is primarily hunted out of some of the better American manufacturers like Williams. Williams is a, is a subsidiary, subsidiary of Snap-on, and they produce similar quality tools without the polish and the shine, but the function is, is primarily there. So we drew a lot from that, uh, some of the Klein tools and stuff, and we're able to put together a nice basic kit for a reasonable price when it comes to comparing it with Snap-on. One thing I was hoping to do is to... Uh, get into a, a good cart. I ordered multiple carts from overseas manufacturer and they were all trash. And at that very same time, I stopped using carts for my primary tool and went to a roll around toolbox. So I was, I, I had to eat some crow on that. I, for years have said the best way to have your tool set up is in a cart. And I've since changed my mind. I don't think that that's the best way to do it at all because it doesn't hold enough things. And it certainly isn't secure and working out of a toolbox is better provided you set it up the way that I set mine up, having the casters and something that's portable that you can move around from job to job. So, you know, I guess there isn't anywhere to go with that because I, I'm not going to be putting tools in carts anymore. I cannot find an American-made U.S. cart for less than about seven, dollars $800, which is almost probably more than the tool cost itself. What I would advocate is do what I did. I went on Facebook Marketplace, and I bought a Snap-on toolbox, just, just a single, uh, for around $1,000, and that is, uh, that's the way to go. So, yeah, I, I guess there was no place, for, no place to go with that because uh, I'm not using carts anymore. The cart, I, the cart that I used to have my tools in now is my cleaning cart. I'll do a sh i got to do a shop update. I've got things really dialed in here good. It's, it's really working well. Uh, I did a... When I first moved in and set up this shop, I started doing some shop videos and I held back on them because what I've realized is it literally takes you a minimum of a year to work and live in a shop before you can really start making decisions. And I, if I, I'm just now getting to the point in my shop in this 40 by 40 where it's starting to get efficient, where I've been through two years, now two, two winters and two summers, I know the equipment that comes in and goes out, what's gonna be required of this space. And it's also changed having a second shop. So a lot of the things that I was originally counting when I was doing the initial setup of the shop in the early days, as I was putting shelving up and hanging different things and trying to find all sorts of solutions for storing equipment because I didn't have any other place for it to go. So now a lot of that stuff is out of here. It's in the other shops in other places combined with minimizing and getting rid of the lot, a lot of the things that I've normally drug around and had around that I just found I don't need. 
um, and that's changed my design for the shop. But a shop should, it's how it's designed is, should be, it should be a lot of thought put into it. So I'm at the point now where I know what its intended use is. I know where I like to work, how I want to be. Um, in the winter time, I like to be by the wood stove. Uh, I don't want to be by the door. In the summertime, I want to be by the door. So I, I've changed things where the flow is really, really good now. And having the rolling toolbox, that concept has really been part of it too. So what I'll do is I'll do for members, I'm going to do a full walk around for you guys this week. And we'll talk about this in detail, what to consider, where, where would I first spend my money? Let's say you have a garage, a two-car garage, a single. You want to set up shop. What's the first thing you should look at? Where do you put your money um, and how should you should go about it? So we'll talk about that. I think that that's a, a good point. So that's what happened to the tool cart. I don't really have anything other to say than that. Thank you, Joel. We have a super chat from Nilfinity and new member. Nilfinity writes, I have been working as a grip for about two years now. A grip, if you don't know, uh, is someone on a, a production set, a movie set or so that is in charge of making everything happen. Um, director or the DP, whoever it is, will say, we need lights over here. Uh, we need uh, something over here. We need to, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the nuts and bolts guys. They're the ones that have all the clamps, the tools, the know-how to make everything happen um, for the director. That's a, that's a job I knew nothing about until I got into content creation and now I know more about it, a lot about it because I use a lot, we probably use a lot of the same tools, light stands and clamps and you know even things like this. You know, apple, apple boxes, you know, that, that's all common grip stuff used on movie sets. So he's been working as a grip for about two years along with a little camera work. Should I start my own business or just take off and find my path? I don't know, you remember my, I don't know if I remember your situation. I don't remember your situation, Nilfinity. I wish I did. So the question is, is should he continue working as a grip along with a little, he's doing some camera work. So I would imagine that once you're on a movie set, now I'm talking about things I don't understand. So let's get that out of the way. I would imagine just like anything else, you're going to start at the very beginning and, and then as you work up, you know, you're going to see other vocations and other jobs. And if you're working as a grip, you're also walk, watching the camera operators and such, and you might want to move into that. Um, man, that sounds like interesting work for me. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's hard for me to answer that. You know what I'd be more comfortable with, Nilfinity, is if, if next week, if you could give, or even today right now, if you could give me a little bit of background, remind me of what we were dealing with. I forgot what your situation was. I, I cannot, with what I have in front of me here, I cannot, I, I don't really have anything to offer you. I don't know. I don't know your situation and whether or not you should do something new or move out of the grip and into operate doing, a camp, being a camera operator, I just don't know. I don't know. I wish I did. I would have liked to have done that. I find the work very interesting. I never, someone who's grown up in construction, I never would have thought that that would have appealed to me. But um, I, I've, I've, one of my favorite things uh, to, to learn that I'm, I'm trying to learn, be self, I'm self-taught, is working with lighting. Um, it, 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 there's this... 
I don't know that a guy, even after 40, 50 years, if you could even but scratch the surface on dealing with lighting and how it works and, and how to properly light scenes and how to light for different feelings and mood and such. And I, I'm just an, an amateur <laughs> making mistakes. You know, I haven't had anyone to show me, but I would find that that type of work, uh, if you got to work with professionals in the business that really knew it, um, I would love to put even maybe five, ten years into that and, and to really understand it, to be able to explore all as, as facets of it, lighting, directing side of it, uh, talent side of it, grip, all that would be very interesting. And that also puts you in a pretty good position that once you got out of that, if you wanted to get into content creation, and that is definitely a viable career, and, and for a lot of people, it's going to be more so in the future, uh, that would give you a tremendous uh, skill set um, to help a lot of people. Even, you know, one thing that I would like and that I really enjoy is someone that comes from the professional world of working with pros in the entertainment industry or grip or lighting or camera work, all that. If you could produce content and really make it for the common man, for the someone who wants to be a TikTok creator or a YouTube creator, where you could kind of dis distill down that knowledge base that you have from the big boys into... Um, common sense practical solutions, whether it be right camera or light stand or how, how to light a scene with one light, that sort of thing, uh, man, that would be very, very interesting content. That's something that I would really like. So maybe as a side hustle, you can kind of keep on doing what you're doing and you can start a YouTube channel and you can start sharing some of that knowledge of, of how you could translate that big screen stuff onto um, smaller people like myself. I, I would enjoy that very much. Nilfinity, new member. I work with the family trucking business. I remember now. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah, so Nilfinity was working with his family. They owned, I think it was a concrete business, and they had a fleet of trucks, and he had a really toxic environment working, I think it was with his parents, with his mother. His mother even uh, was giving him a hard time. He had a lot of problems with his dad and his brother having expectations on him always being there and, and always keeping the engines running and fixing the trucks and never giving a thank you, never appreciating everything that he had to deal with. Also, his environment was terrible. He had to work in a shop. I don't remember if it was unheated or no floor, but I remember lots of messes and unorganized tools and you know just a horrible, horrible environment that he needed to get out of, but he was kind of trapped because he felt a sense of obligation to family, and that's, that's true. I know what that feels like. I stayed in situations way too long because of obligation of friends and family. I've, I, I see things very different now. Um, there are obligations to family, without a doubt, no, no question. That's why family's different than friends, typically. But there is no obligation to stay there and to be abused. If you're being disrespected, and, and underappreciated or not appreciated at all and treated as badly as the way you portrayed the situation to me, then you're, any obligation to family or, or to be a punching bag, that's gone. You, know, you don't need to be subject to that. And if they don't want to talk to you anymore or talk bad about you because you wouldn't stay there and be their punching bag, that's not your problem. You need to go and live your own life, do your own thing. And um, if you've been reasonable, helpful, done everything, broke your butt to help the family, to keep the family business going, and after all that, they could not appreciate you 
and, and wouldn't acknowledge it and, and treated you so badly, then you, you are released from that contract, in my opinion. So whatever you do, whether it be remaining as a grip or camera operator, it's better than going back to the concrete plant. Thank you, Nilfinity. I'm glad to see you're out of there. I remember that. I remember your situation. And Mr. Jamie, Super Chat, wanted to say I'm excited to see the shop tour. Well, there it is. I will, for you, Jamie, as well, I'll, uh, I'll get that up either this afternoon or tomorrow. Um, but I got a lot of new additions here. Everything's working, working really, really well. It, it, it was nice. We had, um, what I like, I, a shop needs to be, if you're a professional homeowner, you're not just doing one thing. You know, it's easy to set up a shop for small manufacturing. Okay, you know what you do. We, pr we produce these widgets and we weld and we deburr and we grind and we paint or we powder coat, what have you. And, and you can set it all up so the raw material comes in the door here. So you have a venue for that, to dealing with it, offloading, and then how everything can seamlessly flow through the shop so that you're working with efficiency. But for ProHo, that's a very different, difficult thing to do because one day you might be rotating tires that you need a big bay for. The second day, you may be setting up a table saw and cutting trim and doing crown molding. Uh, the third day, uh, you might be uh, uh, painting. Uh, who, who knows what, or, or fixing your lawnmower, so, or you might be fabricating or welding, or you might have a buddy come over and you, now you've got two trucks in your shop. You know, there, there's always things that happen. So the idea with when ProHo is setting up a shop is how do you make everything as efficient as possible? How do you quickly change the roles from woodworking to uh, fabrication, welding? without completely upsetting your whole shop, without wasting and, and a whole bunch of time of rolling stuff up, moving this here, clearing off tables and such. So the idea is, is how do you make that all work seamlessly? You know, my particular situations are this. I've got to have uh, a blacksmith forge ready to go that when I want to do something or punch a hole in something or melt something or bend something, that I want to be able to go over there and turn that on without any fuss. I don't want to unplug stuff, move stuff around, or then let's say I make a fire poker and I forge to poke on there. Well, I want to be able to immediately go over and do woodworking without interruption. And then another area of the shop, it's got to be set up where I've got a live stream. And then another area, it's got to be set up where three or four of the war band will have their motorcycles in here and we're all doing tire balancing and oil changing and where I'm not moving my live stream section or I'm not moving this or that. Or then I need a clean surface where let's say we've got clothing or we're doing emergency kits or we're working with medical equipment. We don't want to put that stuff down on a greasy, dirty bench. So you have to have a clean area and then a vice. And then, you know, there's so much that goes on uh, in a shop and thinking about it. So th having everything laid out and designed in a way that you can quickly transition from this to that without, with the least amount of interruption is really an art form. And are you ever satisfied? Do you ever really have it perfect? Yeah, probably not, but you can get pretty close. And we're getting in a situation here where it's getting pretty close. The thing that's going to change everything is the, is the yard sale. We're going to have the mother of all yard sales and empty those shipping containers, Lord willing, in, in this summer. 
Uh, and a lot of that stuff is going to go and anything that doesn't sell at the yard sale is going to be out of my life. I'm no longer toting around artifacts from 20 years ago just because it might come in handy someday. Everything is purpose built. I want to know where everything that I own is at a moment's notice. I want to know where my water filter is if I'm going to go dirt biking. I want to know where my chain adjustment tool is if I need to check this. I want to know where my files are if I need to file a lawnmower blade. You know, you get the point. I want to know, I want everything to have a place and a procedure so that when I come in that my work is enjoyable. I'm not pulling my hair out when I've got two hours to do something and I'm 30 minutes in, I'm still looking for my tools. You know, that's, that needs not, that's, that's not going to happen anymore. I've done that and battled and struggled with that frustration my entire life. So uh, that, that's what we're working on here. So when I'm talking about a, an efficient shop that flows, that's flexible, that can be pressed into service for any possible situation or scenario you're going to have on your home or your homestead, that's what the ultimate goal is. Thank you, Jamie. Yep, I'll have that for you. Promise. Just give me, give me 24, 48 hours at the most, and I'll have it up for you. We have a brand new member. Van Island Outdoors. Shout out to you. Welcome, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much. You get to see the shop tour video. But you know now I'm going to have to clean up a little bit. I'm going to make sure everything's looking good around here. And the Thai guy. $10 super chat from the Thai guy. Welcome, brother. Thai guy writes, I've been trying to organize our family farm shop. Most of the time, I just get overwhelmed by the amount of stuff we have. I'd be very interested in the shop tour. Man, I'll tell you, brother. It's, it is overwhelming. It's absolutely overwhelming. It's incredible, the stuff that we save and, and keep. Do you know how you do it? You have to look at it. If you look at it like, okay, it's Sunday. Sunday, I'm going to get a handle on this shop today. You can't begin to get a handle on a neglected shop on one Sunday. I would say, and, and what, how you can bring enjoyment back to the process, is look at it as a whole right and you look at it as a whole and you're going to have if you're the type of guy that has a like a little 12 by 8 square right to the right or left of your vice that you keep clean for projects and the rest of all your flat surfaces are all piled high and in the windowsill and then you put up some you put up some shelving that you're not particularly proud of that you wouldn't exactly post online because you cut some corners and you just needed something fast and now to house and things that you know that you don't have need of and they're just up there collecting dust you know when you look at this as a, as a whole it's completely overwhelming so you take an approach of you start with your bench you either start with your bench that's where you start you start with your bench an order in my shop if everything is absolute chaos, six, eight, ten foot bench, whatever that is with the vice, that's going to be clear. You start with that. Under it, above it, everything. All that stuff goes away. Now, if you, if you don't know where to put all this stuff, you don't have a place for all the stuff on your bench, just get yourself some cardboard boxes. And just for now, just put them in cardboard boxes and stack up neatly. We'll come back to this. But you've got to get some traction. You've got to have something so that when your daughter's speak and spell or whatever it is noise making toy is in need of a battery or replacement or you need to fix this or need to do whatever 
at least you'd be able to come into to this chaos and, at least, and have a clean surface and start with that. It, it's amazing what that will do for your psyche. Lighting. You know, there, you're, not a, you're not an animal working in a little dank, dark cave. How much time do, does Proho spend in his shop? I mean, I spend more time in my shop than I spend in my home. I decorate, Mrs. W decorates our home to make it as comfortable as possible with the things that we enjoy having around us so I feel at ease and, and content and happy. You know, we, we take concerns about what we put in our homes and how we decorate and how we arrange things and the things that we purchase, right? We, we build that around our comfort. And yet the guys are supposed to, even though that we're the economic engine of the whole family, many of us, are supposed to live and be relegated off to the, the worst, cheapest, dankest, nastiest spot of the home. And, and then and, and, and oftentimes women are never even content with that. Then they come in and want to complain about our garage as well. You know, so with that being said, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got a hard job ahead of you. You've got to go out into the world and fight for your share in a very competitive, difficult environment. One thing that I, that I think that Proho needs to really make a priority in their life is to have a space that you enjoy working in. Surround yourself. I don't care if it's a single, I don't care if you have half of a garage, if that's all you've got for now. You make that the way you like it and don't let anyone tell you different. You deserve to have a place where you feel inspired, that you enjoy being. There's no reason why you should be cold all the time. Get yourself a heater. Do some insulation. Build yourself a nice bench. Put in a window if you like to look outside. What, whatever, but, but it doesn't have to be the Taj Mahal, but you owe it to yourself to give yourself an environment where you can enjoy your projects. How much more would you enjoy, let's say the, the lawnmower blade, you hit something and knock a big chip out of it, it's not cutting right. Let's say you've got your old shop where you've got to move scooters and bikes and pull two cars out and clear off a bunch of stuff and now you're just moving stuff around. By the time you even get to that project, you're already mad. You're already frustrated and aggravated that you had to do the work and now you've got to do it in the substandard location. Now where's my tools? Oh, I don't know. I didn't put them back last time and they're somewhere in a box under a bunch of crap and my wife moved it. Now I'm 45 minutes in it and I'm about to pull my hair out. I'm not going to sharpen that at all. Now I got to get in my car, go to Home Depot and go buy a new blade that I could have sharpened if I could have found my grinder. You know, isn't that the case for a lot of dudes? What's, how much different is the experience where you have an environment you enjoy working in? Maybe you put a Bluetooth speaker in, you put some nice lighting in so you can see what you're doing. You got yourself a nice chair so you can sit down. Maybe you bring a laptop or a computer out there so you can enjoy your favorite Wrangler Star videos while you're doing your stuff. How much different is, is your experience when you bring your lawnmower in and everything's there and you know where it's at and you've got a good bench and you've got a good vice? It changes everything. It changes your mood. It affects your whole family. That frustration that you experience having a, a shop that's not sorted out, a horrible work environment, that frustration is going to be redirected at your family, whether it be a lack of patience or just general aggravation. You, do, you need to take care of yourself. You have a hard job to do. Running a fam family, the weight of the world on your shoulders, responsible for taking care of your wife and your children, you need to have an environment that you enjoy working in.
you need to do it and you start with the workbench. Once you have that established, then go to your tools. Go to your tools and if you have a toolbox that's all messed up and just housing garbage, just take one drawer at a time. One drawer at a time. What I did is I decided what's, what the key to success is with the shop is to not have things spread out in multiple locations. I used to think this caused, I lost, a, I lost a decade of my life through frustration and aggravation by this bad information. And I blame nothing fancy for this, about doing these dedicated kits. Have the dedicated car kit. I've got a Leatherman and a flashlight and a first aid kit. And I've got another one over here. And I've got another one over here. And then pretty soon, you don't know where anything's at. It's all over the place. You rob something because you need it. Now, it, now it's insufficient. It's a horrible way to work. You have everything in one central location. That way you know when you're going, do I have a, do I have a 15 Torx, number 15 Torx? Well, I don't know. I had a few Torx bits, but where are they? If everything's in one spot, you look at it. These are all the Torx bits I own. I don't have the one that I need. Go order one and put it in there. You'll have it. When you want to go do something, if you want to go transition from winter to summer, you know, you don't, you go to the source. Okay, these are all my knives and these are all my flashlights and these are all my Leatherman tools. You pull them out as needed to apply towards the situation. And then when you come back and you're no longer using that kit or no longer need it, then you restock it. Have everything in one spot. It, it, it's tremendous the time it saves of not looking for things, looking around. So what I did was I went through the tools that I use the most. Okay, we're going to get to the bottom of this. I want to know exactly what I have. We're starting with screwdrivers, hammers, wrenches, and sockets. Get everything you own. This Saturday morning when I wake up, I've got four hours or Sunday morning, whatever, to work in the shop. We're handling the socket sets and the wrenches. You have a clean bench, right? Now that you started with that, you've got good lighting. You've got your computer out there. You're, you're having a nice time. Even though the rest of it's a chaos, you lay them all out and you go through them and you put together the sets. And if you've got duplicates, you do one of two things. If you've got duplicates and you can put together a whole second set, then go ahead and build a car kit that's dedicated for the car under the seat in the back with the, less quali the lower quality tools, not your primaries. If you've got triplicates, get rid of them. Put together a set, give them to someone in need, or just make it go away. How many screwdrivers do you need, really? Would your life not be simpler if you just had one number two screwdriver and it was a good one it was one that was good quality it was going to last you over a bunch of garbage and handy downs and things left over from granddad and things left over from dad and just let that stuff go away and it, I mean, you'll get traction and then when you open that tool drawer you've got your number one two three phillips and you've got your screwdrivers and good quality and they're going to last forever they go back when you're done with them it just changes everything changes the whole experience changes your mood and you'll just get traction. And then after your workbench is sorted out, now you've got your toolbox sorted out. And then you take it from there. What's the next thing? You know, oil, uh, filters, you know, consumables. Uh, maybe you get into your hardware, get an organization. You know, there's all these great organization deals from DeWalt, Milwaukee, you know, the Packer boxes. You know, go get a couple of those with the bins in there. One for wood screws and one for metal screws. And have those and just take the day. It might take you a week to go through all of the, the tin cans and glass jars of random trail mix of fasteners and hardwares and all that stuff. Pour them out, 
we're doing hardware this week, maybe it's a month, and we go through and we divide it, and we keep wood screws here, and we keep uh, drywall screws here, and panhead machine screws here, and grub screws, or nails over here, and when you have a project, you know what you've got. Oh, six, I need some 16-penny nails. Well, I got five pounds of them. I, I can go do the job. So that's where you start, just with the bench. And once you get traction with the bench, it will start to, that excellence, that cleanliness, that organization will paint, be such a stark contrast to the chaos of your shop, it will start to grow and just start with it and just make it happen. And here's one trick that I do that keeps my shop clean. It's a, it's a mind trick, it's simple, but it works perfectly. Whenever I walk across to a new portion of the shop, wherever I'm working, let's say I need to go over and use the grinder. It's over on that, over by the door. Okay, I've got this piece, I wanna grind a point onto it. I walk over there, and before I leave that workstation there, I survey the area and I put away three things wherever I walk to. I don't care, I do three things that put away. So when I, so I'm always, I'm never having things laying out. So you just get in the habit. Yes, I'm busy, I'm trying to get a project done, but rather than taking the whole day and you know, uh, of do, doing all your projects and just take, having all your tools out, and it's incredible how many tools you can take out for a project. You empty half your shop out on the front port, out the front, the concrete, right? If you get in the habit of whenever you go to a portion of your shop, you survey and you look anything that was not put away or doesn't have a home or didn't get sorted correctly, you deal with that right there. And you're always putting more things away than you're taking out. You, maybe you do it two to one. But it works, and I've just gotten the habit of doing it. I don't, my shoes are on the ground. Well, put the shoes where they go. Or, oh, there's a screw on the ground I didn't pick up. Well, that's one piece. You know, you, you get it. It works. It's going to take a year. So just remember that. It takes a year to get everything sorted. Goodness, we have a super chat from Exdenator. Exdenator. Extinator, shout out to you. He writes, he's 23 from Massachusetts, have mild autistic cysts, mother sick with lupus, and grandma with aggressive dementia. Quit my trucking job to care for them. Thoughts. Oh, man. Talking about family obligation here. That's a tough call, man. What would I do in that situation? Mildly autistic cis. So he's, sister's probably not able to equally share the load. Mother is sick with lupus and grandma with aggressive dementia. Quit my trucking job to care for them. That's tough, man. So many demands upon one man and bound by family. I can sympathize with this, you know, but because one thing that was unique about our family is there's never been, our, our family never, never put anyone in a retirement home. My mother and my uncle cared for my grandparents when they 
when they were no longer able to care for them, and it was a great burden on the family. And uh, it was, there was, I would guess, a fair amount of resentment that, that was caused by that and infighting and who's doing this and who's pulling their fair share of the weight. So that wasn't necessarily the best thing uh, either. You know, what a guy's got to realize is, is that there are commitments to family. But there's also, you also have an obligation to get your life going and, and started. I don't have an issue, and, and I probably would do the same thing, you know, quitting your trucking job to care for them, doing trucking, you know, if you're long haul, that's going to make it impossible to care for your family. But also, there's got to be an end date to this. This can't just be open-ended. I, I think it unreasonable for a man of 23 when you're just getting started where you need to get your life going. I mean, you probably have ambitions to be, to have your own family. And these are the years that, these decisions that you make right now are, are going to determine your destiny as to who your friends are, where you live, what your income is. And there can be a slight interruption in this to, to, to do what you're talking about, but there also needs to be an end an end game. There needs to be a, a plan. This can't just be going on forever. I mean, women can live to 80, 90. This could turn into your full-time job if, if you're not careful. This is unfortunate that this has happened to your family, but you might need to get some help. I mean, it's, I don't know where the income's going to come from if you're not working. If your sister's autistic, she's probably not a big earner. It sounds like your mother's not able to work, and your grandmother certainly isn't able to work. There's, it comes down to economics. Who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to take care of this family? Um, stepping down to jump into this to try to get this sorted out is, is, is very honorable for you, an honorable thing to do. And this is what family does. But the people that do have capabilities also need to step up and understand that they, they're also somewhat responsible for their situation as as difficult as that may be to hear. And if you jump in there and take care of everything for them, they will have no incentive uh, of getting better, no incentive of doing anything, and they'll probably be comfortable with the status quo. And that's going to be a great burden upon you. It's ultimately going to destroy your family because the resentment that's going to come into your heart from continuing for year after year to help people that are not willing to do anything or meet you halfway is going to eat you up inside. So I would, if I were you, I probably would have done the same thing, but you need to go in there and to evaluate what's going on. You need to basically do a triage. What needs look, looked after first, and how do we deal with the, how do we put the fires out? Once the fires are put out and everything is somewhat stabilized, then you need to take it, oh my, oh I got a picture here. Where are my glasses? Something new is happening. Okay, I like Overton's surprising me here with with some new features, which are kind of cool. Um, so the point I'll, I'll wrap it up. The point being is that go in, put out the fires, triage it, find out where the greatest needs are, and then have a very earnest talk with the family, set some guidelines, and then you you're going to have to find some help. 
there are going to be resources. Um, I don't know if it's Medicare, Medicaid, whatever. I, you know, you're going to have to find out yourself, but you're going to have plenty of time on your hands to do this and start getting plugged in. Find out what, what, what the responsibilities, what can your sister handle? Is she able to, to pick up some of the load, even though she's mildly autistic? She, can she do the housekeeping? Can she do food uh, for your mother and grandmother? Uh, can she, is she going to be able to handle any of the bills, or is she a complete liability as well? She needs to help out the best that she can. may not be equal with what you, you're doing, but your goal needs to be, I'll get these people as independent and established the best I can, but also don't lose the sight that you need to get your life up and going as well. As sad and as difficult as this is, you know, you, you can't be a, I, I wouldn't want to be a caretaker for these three women for the rest of my life, uh, even if they are family. You have an obligation. Uh, you, you, ha you, have, you have a right to live a, a rich and a fulfilling life. And do what you can, but get some help. You need to get some help with this. That's rough. And dealing with three women, too. Goodness. I'm sorry to hear that, brother. That's tough, man. That's a burden. That's a real hard thing for families that just have to deal with one of those situations, and you've got three. We have a member's message from Celtic Envy. It's been with us for two months. Celtic writes, hey, Cody, may God bless and protect you and the family. Thank you for what you do. Well, thank you. I appreciate you being here in your time. And member message from the Battle Chemist. Good to see the Battle Chemist back. He's been with us for three months. The over... Whelm is real. Taking a bite-side chunk is so much the way to do it. It has helped me make advances against all the stuff I inherited. Yeah, that's the way you have to do it. You have to look at it as long-term. And you can actually enjoy, the work is quite enjoyable. If you take it big picture and you spend seven, eight hours in there and you get very little traction and you're just basically moving stuff around, you have to, you have to really go scorched earth on this stuff when you're minimizing. You have to this one thing that needs to be um i just lost my train of thought the important thing i was going to share with it'll come back to me oh this is what it is you have to not move things around when you get once you get your workbench and your tools sorted out and you have that little area carved out when you grab something when, when you're starting to minimize when, when you grab these things you have to realize, if I pick this paintbrush up, let's say you left your, perfect example, you left your roller plant, you, you washed out your roller pan from the last paint job you did, and you left your roller frame and a couple roller covers and, and you threw them over on a table somewhere with some uh, plastic sheeting and some masking tape, right? And a dust mask, and there it sits because you never really had a place for it. How many times have you moved that around in the last two years, like looking for stuff, right? That's the problem right there. That's the insanity that we go round and round in of just moving things around. You're just constantly just moving things around. It's, it, the devil laughs as he just occupies you and frustrates you with this. What you do is once you get your bench and your tools established is that you go Okay, we're gonna let's say we're gonna work in it uh, around the clock. We're gonna start at the twelve o'clock at the north side of the shop, adjacent to the to the workbench, 
and we're going to deal with everything. And when you go and you grab the first pile of garbage or the box full of stuff and you put it on your workbench, then you do not, this is not relocating anymore. Everything is going to find its place. If it's painting supplies that we talked about, now you need to have a, stop, a place for your painting stuff, a one-stop shop that when you need to do a drywall repair, do a touch-up, whatever, you know you have it. Everything you own painting goes in that. You go to Home Depot, you go to Amazon, whatever, you decide on an organization system of, of toolboxes or small boxes for, for all the different disciplines. Because you're going to need separate small toolboxes for plumbing, electrical, paint and drywall. You know, that, those basically cover it. You know, your mechanical stuff is going to be, you know, maybe your, and maybe your carpenter's tools. Let's say a fourth one's your carpenter's tool where you have your tool belt, speed square, tape measure, framing hammer, finish, you know, finish hammer, that sort of thing. So four small toolboxes, you know, something that's weatherproof that's stackable. You know, go look at, go look at the Milwaukee stuff. The action packer stuff is really nice. It mounts on the wall and that's a good place to start. I really like that stuff. And, you know, it's kind of fun. And so you go and like, okay, we're going we're gonna to go to the Home Depot. We're going to get our carpenter's box. And, um, and this is going to be our paint box. And then you scour your whole shop. And everything that's paint related, you're going to deal with that day. You put your roller covers in there. If they didn't get washed out, the paintbrush is hard and crunchy. You know, you're never going to get around to cleaning it. Just throw it away. You can get a new one and start over and you'll clean it properly next time. And then at the end of the day, you'll have all your painting stuff all sorted out. And yeah, the shop is not clean, but next time it's going to be the plumbing and then the electrical and the carpentry tools. And pretty soon now you've, you're starting to look pretty good. You still got a lot of junk, all that stuff, but you've weeded out all the extras. You've got all the things that are broken, all the things that you're never going to fix. And, and you've also, while you were there, you probably replaced it. I don't have any frame covers for the roller. Oh, I, look, I've been, I've been moving this five gallon can of paint around. It's all dried up. No, get rid of it. Get rid of the stuff. And then you work at it section by section, by category. And pretty soon there aren't any categories left because it really comes down to just a few things. Mechanical tools, carpentry tools. Those two are separate. We're going to have uh, plumbing, electrical, that sort of thing in their own boxes. Um, you're going to have some fasteners, screws and nails, that sort of thing. Um, you know, maybe you have uh, uh, a little bit of um, raw material. Maybe you got some steel, some, some uh, round stock and some angle iron. Maybe you got a few studs and a few sh sheets of plywood. You know, you can set all that stuff up there. But before you know it, you're going to have a func functioning, functioning shop that you can work around and it just kind of happens. And it develops uh, a habit of taking care of these things. You're unlikely when you have a paint job from this day forward, when you put that up on your clean bench and you open it up and you take your things out and you have what you need to go do the job, you're unlikely to take that un unclean paintbrush and roller pan and, and just throw it somewhere when it is obviously sticking out like a sore thumb in a clean, well-organized, well-ran shop. You're gonna, the, the excellence is gonna, is gonna manifest itself, it's gonna infect your work. It's going to go into your work. But Battle Chemist is right. Yeah, it's, the, it's one piece at a time. We have a super chat from the Tattooed Aviator. Shout out to you, Tattooed. He writes, do you think it's wrong, immoral, 
to use finding a tr traditional marriage as one of the priority motivators to start going to church and working on developing my relationship with God. No, just the opposite. Um, I, I would not look at that as being... Um, I would not look at that as being mercenary. Now, it could. If you show up to two meetings and then pretty soon start chasing all the trad cons around or, or uh, love bombing or um, just going too hard without an, the appropriate time uh, that it takes to build trust and friendships with people, then, yeah, that, that would be considered mercenary um, and, and it would not be ethical. Um, I would keep my mouth shut about my motivations. And uh, only when, you know, once you're involved in this community, maybe bring that up. Um, I, 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 would, I would feel it out. But I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so at all. Um, I think that's probably the best way to do it. I mean, it's going to be difficult to find a Tradcon American woman. I don't know if it's possible if she's been to college, to be honest with you. That would be a massive red flag. Um, the college, four years of indoctrination, and I, I, in those formative years, I just don't know you're ever going to get that back. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Put, putting yourself, embedding yourself in that situation, uh, putting yourself in the environment where you're going to most have the best chance of finding what you want, someone to share your traditional values, I would not say there was anything immoral with that whatsoever. Um, I think it's an honorable way to go. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a good, a good way. Small towns. Jesse Geisinger, our newest member. Welcome. Welcome. Glad to have you here. And Frank Knox writes, what's your opinion on the Kraken from Zombie Tools? Well, I'll take a look at that. We're looking at the Kraken here. Oh, goodness, that is quite a thing. Um, well, it's got a metal handle. It's all metal. No, metal with wooden or some sort of a composite scale. The vibration in, in the thing into the skeletal system, it, let's, let's say you were to take this thing, it, it's not surely for combat, that this is a utility tool that could be used for not only splitting skulls, but maybe... Uh, butchering, processing firewood, maybe using it as a tool, it's going to be horrible. Uh, it's going to be poorly, it's got, it's got so many things going wrong with it, it's, it's, it's so terrible for a tool. This is nothing more than just a novelty piece um, to play on people that are excited about uh, the Fourier into the zombie apocalypse. First off, the full metal handle like that, the vibration that's going to go into the skeletal system, let's say you tried to chop down a tree with this thing, is going to be brutal. There's nothing to dampen that. That's why a proper felling axe is mated using a hickory handle, which cuts down on that vibration and also assists in the, in the function of the tool. You've got those weird angles and kind of a rectangle square shape that is, very, is horrible to try to hold on to. It's too big, it's not consistent, and it's way too fat on the palm swell. 
You've got a horror, some sort of a ridiculous hockey wrap on there that is going to play havoc with blisters. It's going to come off and get. It's going to uh, hold water. Uh, completely unsuitable uh, for extended use in any way whatsoever. The balance on it's going to be absolutely atrocious. Why do axes have thick poles on the back? Well, it's to offset the metal. You know, if you were to take the metal, let's say you had a rectangle billet of steel, you're going to make it into an axe. It's got to be balanced, right? The balance point should be in the middle. Well, the reason for all that weight in the pole is because as that, that same metal that's on the, the blade side is, is squished out in the, in the forging process to make, make for that long cutting edge, the weight and the mass is still there. It's just in a different shape. It needs to be offset on the back by the pole of the axe. Not only that, the pole of the axe is basically giving you two tools in one. Now you have a very effective um, blunt instrument, a pounder for driving wedges, for pounding tent stakes. You don't have that here. You've got that silly spike on the back. What, what good is that spike going to do? The only use that spike could be, apart from piercing skulls, is going to be for maybe scratching a little spot in the earth if you need to dig a hole, but it's going to be very ineffective at that. What do you think the balance is going to be on that hateful thing? Oh, you, that's not working. You can see it right there. All that mass, and then that huge cutting edge. That is called, a, that's a bearded cutting edge or a bearded axe. There's a lot more steel in that cutting, act, cutting edge than there is on that back pole, which is non-existent. The balance on this thing is going to be horrific. How well does a long blade with a cutting edge that long with no mass behind it, no weight, how well is that going to bite into the wood, into cut, or into anything? It's not going to. It's, got, it's so broad and so wide that the, the surface area of it's massive, it's, it can be very, it's not going to penetrate. I, I mean, it's, it's absolutely hateful on every possible level and, and just not useful. Outside of just killing, it has no redeeming values whatsoever. None. The Kraken. $479. Now, if it gives you the fizz, then all bets are off. You know how the, what the rule is. If you just like it, and if you want the zombie tool, the apocalypse, the kraken, because it gives you the fizz, you can do that. But I'll tell you right there, half of that, with half of that money, that's halfway to a snap-on, a big seven-drawer snap-on roll-around box for your shop. If you buy it right, buy it used on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist. Would you rather have Half a snap-on box, or would you rather have the Kraken? Note the price on the Kraken. Yeah. No. Ridiculous. I'll, you know, I'll, let, me, let me show you something. Let me show you, let me show you the, one of the worst tools I've ever reviewed, and it was made by Spider, Spyderco. And I haven't given it away because it's a reminder to me of form over function and nonsense. I wonder if I'll be able to find it here. I'm going to dedicate no more than 15 seconds looking for it. Oh, man. Okay. I'm going to bring this out next time. I can't be sure where it's at. You see, even my shop is not complete. I should be able to, and will in the future, I should be able to walk to anything and within 30 seconds have it in my hand, anything that I own in my shop. But it's a, it was the Spider Co. Uh, they made an axe. 
with a plastic handle on it that I went out and field tested at the old place, and it was, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. We have a super chat, or a new member, our newest member, TJ Lahan. Shout out to you. Welcome. Welcome. Well, that's it. That wraps this up, brothers. Great live stream. I sure enjoyed it. Monday morning. Hang in there, gentlemen. Remember, this coming Wednesday, we will be on week three of our Proho 24-hour fast. So that's not tomorrow, but the day after tomorrow. So make sure, if you're participating in that with me, that you uh, eat up, have a double portion tonight or tomorrow, maybe tomorrow night, uh, in preparation for that. And we, we will be doing that together. And that will be week three. And after that, we'll have one more, one more to go. For members, I've got some cool stuff from, for you guys coming up. I have, um, I've been putting a lot of, um, we've been doing a lot of R&D, the Warband and I, on this concept of the dirt bike, the inexpensive dirt bike as a bug out vehicle um, in a couple different things. Carrying equipment on it, equipping it with things that are practical that work and help you get out of a jam, get unstuck, uh, this thing, as well as making them reliable and bulletproof. How to protect them and pr protect them from damages and crashes and stuff because this could be very important. It's very important for us and why we put so much effort into this because we take them into such remote locations. You know, we know that, and, and, the, and, and the war band members, shout out to Undead Chronic, I'm stealing that from him. We know that if three or four of us go out and we go 60 miles from the closest road and we're going up into the back country north of here, up into Fuji, and putting ourselves in this situation with the level of complexity with these machines, a lot of moving parts, you know, for lack of a 50 cent O-ring, that can render these machines unusable. If you break a chain, simple chain, uh, are, you, are you going anywhere? Are you gonna be able to repair that with bark and reeds? No, you're not. So everything needs to be considered. And, and I, we have the benefit. I've been doing this for a long time, and I take it very seriously. What I've learned, I can share with you on that. Now, I've never done this sort of content because it's not... I've always kept dirt biking that side of my life kind of on my own. I, I didn't want to accept free stuff, and I didn't want to get sponsors. I could get free dirt bikes. And people always ask me, why don't you just get... You know, why don't you just have them given to you? Well, there's nothing given. Everything, everything comes at a cost. There's always expectations. And so now the thing that I enjoy doing on my days off with my friends and the war band and with my son, now I have to pull out the phone and I always feel pressure of obligation. Oh, you know, someone gave me something or I have to do something or I've got a sponsor. So I've always kept that very separate from everything else so that when I go do that, that I'm completely free. I don't, I don't think about content. I don't think about sponsors, any of that. It's my thing to do. But I'm going to change that a little bit because a lot of those lessons that we've learned in the very, in the crucible of the, of the out back in the, out in the bush, uh, that we've learned the hard way that we've, we're building bikes now that are pretty capable uh, and able, we're able to fix or repair or come up with solutions to every single problem that we've had. We've not left a bike in the woods um, for seven years. That's saying something, especially when you're dealing with multiple machines. We also understand that it doesn't matter if I figure, if I account for everything and I've got replacement parts and the right tools and 
the know-how to get the bike back regardless of what happens if my buddy's bike, if he hasn't spent the time of doing that. Because his problem is now my problem. Am I going to just get on my functioning bike and say, well, sorry that happened to you. Sorry that you broke a chain and you didn't think to have a master link and the tool to put it on. Um, um, hope you hope it goes well for you. No, that's my problem now. It's our problem. It's all of our problem to get this guy out. So it's, it's, we, we take it very seriously. And, and everyone, we learn from each other. So there's, there's a lot of knowledge that has come from that that could be helpful um, that I think would be appropriate because I, this is a good thing to do. It's, I, I, most of you would, would really enjoy it. We have one more comment from the live chat from Voice. Shout out to you, Voice. Voice writes, how about a stealth muffler system? I wouldn't want the whole world to know I've got uh, a working dirt bike. Yeah, may, maybe. There's not much you can do about that. Um, you could, yeah, you can get it down to a certain extent. Yeah, I ride two strokes. So two strokes are better in that situation because they, it doesn't have that deep thump that you get from a four-stroke that carries for so long. Yes, they're loud and buzzy, but they don't tend to carry over canyons. You don't hear them for so far away. The four-strokes are actually worse than that. You know, you just can't, you, there's not much you can do apart from just leaving the factory exhaust. A lot of guys don't do that. They want the extra performance and power that comes from, you know, performance exhaust. I get that. You know, I, I do that on mine as well. But by leaving the factory exhaust, they're really quiet, especially the Japanese bikes. You get into like the little, the, the CR, CFR, CRFs, Hondas, the 250s, the 230, the 250 Kawasaki's. They're quiet. They're very quiet uh, for, for motorcycles. There's not much you can do about it other than that. But you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're so mobile. There's nothing that can touch you. There's nothing that can touch you on foot. There's nothing that can touch you. Not in this environment. Not when we're talking about forest, forest trails and logging roads. There's nothing that can touch you with four wheels. They, they just can't fit between the trees. There's, these bikes are off limit. I mean, they, they're almost limitless where they can go. They're not crossing streams where you can cross streams. So the only other thing that can actually give you any pro problem or pursue you would be another bike. And how many are those, how many of those are out there being ridden by law enforcement or park rangers? You know, here we have one guy for the entire ranger district, which is massive, bigger, as big as some states. And there's one guy with one motorcycle. What's the chance of you having a, an encounter or a run-in with this guy? I've been up there almost every day, and my friends, between us, all of us, at least one of us are up there almost every day, and we've never seen him. So I, I don't think it's a problem, to be honest with you. You know, you'd have a plan. You know, we all have a plan that when, when the, when the warband is out poaching, we have a gentleman's agreement that not poaching animals, it's just a figure of speech, uh, that uh, if someone were, if you get yourself in that situation, we immediately split up. If there's three or four of us, say three of us, we go in three different directions immediately. Well, what, what they got, if there is someone on a bike or pursuing, then they have to make that decision on which way to go. And then we always have rally points or meetup points. And the gentleman's agreement is that you, if you've agreed to do what we're doing, getting involved in this, you know, you, then, then you, you don't know anything. You know, you keep your mouth shut 
And that's the agreement that we've all made. We've committed to one another. So if you get caught, you're not going to rat out the other guys. One final. One final comment on the DD. So we have a, we're having a problem with a, a, a Daniel Defense Mark 18. That's the 10-3 barrel, the short barrel, with double feeding live cartridges. I read that earlier. So here's the scenario. He's getting a double feed of live cartridges, meaning that there's one in the chamber, and then it's uh, as the um, bolt carrier BCG is coming back, it's not the pulse, the extractor's not grabbing to extract it and it's shoving another one and it's double feeding. This happened with a new rifle at a pistol at a rifle course, and it was alleviated by lubrication. Yeah, I've seen that before too. I have had we had a Daniel Defense. No, it wasn't a Daniel Defense. It was a brand new Colt unit carbine that I, I took brand new right out from the gun store into a, a rifle course. And it was having the same issue. And I lubricated it and it never has done it again. And I put 5,000 rounds through it. So yeah, that, that could be. Uh, the other thing that it could be that comes to mind that I've seen personally with that is it could be a magazine problem. I would um, check magazines, especially if they're metal. The metal magazines uh, have a tendency when you go to pistol courses, if you, drop, if you drop them, which you tend to do, and you're often dropping them on con concrete, the feed lips get bent pretty easy. Not easy, but it's possible. Where your Magpul mags are going to be less likely to do that, but not impossible. I've had Magpul magazines fail as well. So if you get something that's double feeding or acting up, you need to have, when you're going to a pistol course or wherever you're training or you're shooting to try and to do a shakedown on a new rifle or prove its reliability, make sure you have a Sharpie and put a cross on that magazine, the one that gave you problems. Keep it in your rotation and see if that manifests again. Because if it's a problem with a feed lip or a bent, bad follower or spring, um, then it'll continue to give you problems and just and just either rotate it out or just identify it as a training magazine um, for that reason. Um, the other issue, the only other issue, I, feeding issue I ran into, and I did run into one with the Mark 18, was the buffer tube, uh, the, the buffer weight. It ran flawlessly until I put a suppressor on it. And then the moment I put a suppressor on it, it started, I started having failure to feeds. And what happened was the change in back pressure from the suppressor uh, messed, was messing something up with the gas system and I had to change the buffer. And I think I went, I went, to, uh, went from an H buffer to an H2 buffer and that solved that problem. And that's the only problem I've had about it. But the, o the only AR that I've ever had issue with was that brand new Colt and it was dry and it was doing the same thing and we lubricated it, just poured a bunch of gun oil in there uh, and it never has done it again. So I would say that uh, I would look at that. Magazines, check those uh, and, ch and just keep it lubed and go shoot it. It's probably fine. Check your extractor. You know, there's, one, there's also, here's one other thing that you should do. Daniel Defense should already come with this. Now, the Crane Company works for Special Navy Warfare, whatever it is, that developed the Mark 18. A little uh, uh, enhancement that they came up with that comes with some rifles, but not all. It should come with Daniel Defense. But you want to check your, your bolt. So take your bolt carrier group out of your Mark 18. 
put it on your bench. Watch a video, whatever you have to do, but pull the extractor out. Now, you're going to need a small pin. When you get that bolt carrier group, you push a pin out. You're going to take the, the cam pin out and your bolt. Now, once you get the bolt out, you push another pin out and you'll get your, um, that's right, no, the pin, yeah, cam pin. You don't have another pin, just a cam pin. Take your bolt out. Now, you push a pin through. You can use a Glock tool and you're going to remove the extractor. Inside that extractor, you're going to see a little tiny spring. And on a DD rifle, there should also be a little tiny rubber O-ring in there. Now, that, that O-ring that goes around the spring, that's an enhancement. That was, I think that was developed by the Navy Special War Division as, a, as an, a performance enhancement to get better, stronger extraction that was not on Stoner's original design. Uh, if it does not have that O-ring, there's three pieces actually. There's a spring, there's a spring insert, little like cup that goes inside of it, as well as an O-ring. If any one of those three pieces is missing, that could cause weak extraction. The solution to that is, and, and you guys that don't have Daniel Defenses or, or um, Bravo Company rifles or any of the Tier 1 rifles, pull your bolts out and inspect it and see if you have this upgrade. If you don't, go to Bravo Company, BCM, and they have the kit. You get a two-pack for about 17, 15, 17 bucks that will give you all of the components with the enhancement, with the spring, the spring insert, and the donut O-ring. Drop that in your bolt, and that will significantly increase your uh, proven upgrade. This is not like weird stuff that's going to make it unreliable, as far as I understand. I do it to mine, and it's a great upgrade. It actually comes factory on the better rifles. You know, your SR-15s. I think it comes on your LMTs. It's going to come on your DDs, your Bravo companies, all that. So that's a great upgrade to do to any of your ARs. Is, and I forget what it's called. Maybe we can bring that up next time. I have two. I've actually ordered two for the builds that I'm working on, and I've misplaced them. I don't know where they're at. They're kicking around here somewhere. But if I can find them between now and tomorrow, I'll show you what they look like. But that's a great upgrade. No special tools required. No special techniques. Just uh, look it up. You know, look at look at the just look at the AR-15 bolt O-ring extractor upgrade, and you'll it's it's quite easy. There's a lot of resources out there. You'll find it. All right. Thank you, beloved. I sure appreciate all of the super chats. Goodness, we had an incredibly generous offer from our friend, Mr. David Hale. Shout out to you, David. Shout out to all the middlemen who helped in Overton with uh, the moderating. I sure do appreciate that and uh, look, forward to, look forward to tomorrow. All right. May God bless you and your families. We pray for you guys constantly. We ask that you keep us in your prayers as well. Is, oh, there it is. Look at Overton. He's on it. Shout out to Overton. He made that happen. There it is. That's the BCM Extractor Spring Upgrade Kit. So if you look in your AR right now, if, you, if you're afraid to do this, don't be afraid. Just open it up, lock the bolt back. Look in at that bolt face and you'll see the, the bolt lugs and you'll see the extractor, which is the loose piece on the side. It's held in there with just a little pin. Pull your bolt carrier group out, push that pin out, 
and then you're going to replace it with these three pieces. You're going to replace the factory spring. It might be red, it might be gold. This one's looks like it's black. You're going to take that the middle piece, you're going to slide that insert into the spring and that gives it structure and you're going to drop it in, replace the one that was in there, then you're going to put that donut o-ring in there and there for 4.95 right there. $5 awesome one of the best upgrades you can do to your AR15 and it's 4.95. That's it. That's the one right there. That's the good one. Thanks Overton for doing that, man. It's it's cool. This is the first time in our live stream that uh Overton has dropped some photos in on our um on our feed here and that really helps. Well, I guess I'm only I'm the only one looking at that. You guys can't see that. That's not helpful at all. <laughs> what I need to do, to do is I need to drag this over I need to figure out how to drag this over onto my screen so you guys are looking at what I'm looking at. Like what I'm saying is making absolutely no sense to anyone. All right. Thanks, beloved. Let's get out while the getting's good. I appreciate it. Keep us in your prayers. May God bless you and your families. And we will see you guys, Lord willing, on tomorrow's stream.